You ready? 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 One, two, three, four! Anyway, with the friend. 
podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports. Uh, for the next three hours. I hope you guys liked the uh, the new music. It was a little callback to uh, some old sports games uh, from yeah. the mid two thousand from the mid two thousands. We have Lou on with us as always, and uh, a quick Thank programming you. note for uh, just a reminder: next week there will be no Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, I right. will be out of town, so I will not be able to. Uh, handle you know all of the necessary uh, stuff for the uh, for the show. So we will be taking next week off, and uh, we will return the following week for Sports Whispers Weekly. And another programming note is for Survivor fans: this upcoming Thursday night will be the first, well, the premiere edition 
of the Survivor 41 recap show. Uh, Like I explained last night, normally we would do Survivor immediately following the show, immediately following the episode every Wednesday night, but with with it being 26 days now for uh, for a Survivor season, and there's probably going to be more multiple hour nights for episodes, it yeah. wouldn't make sense for us to hold them on Wednesdays anymore. So uh, Jim and I both agreed, and we switched it over to Thursdays. So Thursday nights starting this Thursday at 9 p.m. Central, I mean 9 p.m. Eastern, for the big uh the uh survivor uh 41 recap show and as always if you haven't uh seen or listened to any of our big brother podcasts you can do so by subscribing to the missy ae podcast by going to either itunes apple podcasts or amazon music you can uh search missy ae Subscribe there. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com slash missyae and subscribe there as well. But, Lou, we are yeah. – first off, first off, you're, you're on a, quite a better, uh, a better luck of the draw this week with your, with your uh, football picks. As it How looks old like are you? It looks like it's possible, uh, depending on, on, on how Penn State uh, – I'm doing that game right now. Lead. State holds this lead. Hopefully, they're going to need at least two more points uh, total, you know, for uh, above Auburn. But if they can get, if they can hold uh, a six-point lead tonight, then you will be one step closer to a potential perfect week in sports uh, in sports whispers for the game's gridiron. I have never had a perfect week in all years I've done football pools and whatnot, I have never had a perfect week. Well, then again, we went through all the NFL teams, so that makes it kind of hard. Yeah, but, you know, so far you have you have two wins with uh, Florida. Even though they lost, they did cover by quite a bit. So uh, you got the win there, and you got the I win with uh, USC. You got yeah. the win with USC blowing out, uh, blowing out their opponents today. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I was kind of surprised, actually, uh, at Florida and Alabama. You know, I, I, assumed that Alabama would, I assumed that Alabama would win, but I didn't think it would be that close, you know. I did. I mean, 11, I guess, I guess you know, this shows why Florida is still ranked. I mean, they came in yeah. as the 11th ranked, uh, as, as the, uh, as rank 11 this week. And, you know, this clearly shows why, why they should still be ranked with the, uh, with the current system that they have out there. Uh, but Alabama, you know, the one thing I noticed, and this is a real big nitpick, uh, on my part is, if you're lining if you're lining up for a for a sideline touchdown, how do you not put your lead foot down first? <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of strange. Bama had a wide open touchdown late in the fourth. Yeah, and all all he had to do for some reason, he, uh, his left foot landed first. All he had to do was make his right foot, somehow make his right foot land first. And yeah, that would have been six move. points. 
Yeah. But, but I knew that game wasn't going to be a blowout, though, at all. I, I knew that. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I guess maybe if you would have had certain players from the past that have played at Alabama over the last couple of years, you know, maybe we're talking about a different result here. I mean, Alabama still did win. It was a slim two-point win. Uh, but it seemed very uncharacteristic of them to only score 10 points in the second half. Yes, it was. I mean, it's, it's like I mean, it looked, I mean, it looked like earlier that Alabama was going to take control. Um, in the second quarter, they were up by a good margin, but Florida just kept battling back. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they – they hit the half with a 21 to nine deficit for Florida. Yeah. And, you know, it, it seemed like Florida was making a comeback, but, uh, and I, you know, I agree with what Nick Saban said. Nick Saban had said that there was, th- there were definitely mental mistakes that were made on Alabama's side yes. because there were, there were some pretty key opportunities that they could have capitalized on and should have, capitalized on but right. ultimately I mean it doesn't really you know it doesn't really matter as long as they get the win in yeah. you know in the grand scheme of things you know Alabama's still 3 and 0 Florida they dropped to 2 and 1 you know obviously there's still plenty of season to be had anyways but well, uh, you know how it is will drop much I I would hope not, considering the fact that uh, the fact that Florida's defense really carried them this game, uh, really carried them yeah. and gave them a shot uh, in this matchup. Oh, yeah. uh, now, so, like I like I said, Alabama thirty-one to twenty-nine, a close two-point victory uh, out of out of all the games that have taken place in the top twenty-five. Uh, we did have. A whole bunch of other games take place. Uh, Oklahoma with a 23 to 16 victory over Nebraska. They stay undefeated at three and zero. Iowa with a 30 to seven thrashing of Kent State. Iowa stays undefeated at three and zero. Clemson they improved. Clemson improves to two and one with a 14. This is what's really shocking here: a 14 yes. to eight victory over Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. What what happened to this high-powered Clemson offense that they were always known for? It really seems like once they lost Travis Etienne, once they lost Travis Etienne and once they lost Trevor Lawrence to the NFL draft, it's almost as if the entire, their entire offense completely sucked out of that team. Speaking of Lawrence and sucking, uh, I mean, he kind of stuck last week in his opening, his NFL debut. Well, then what do you expect? Yeah. Duh. Duh. Yeah, what you know, I mean, it's not really shocking coming from Jacksonville, but right, he played pretty bad as a rookie. Yeah. You know, it. I was expecting a lot different out of Trevor Lawrence, but I think he's finally figured out that this ain't college anymore, you know. That's he right. Have, it comes to the NFL, you suck. 
you know, he did have 332 yards. He had three touchdowns. That's fine and dandy. But he also threw three picks. Yeah, that's what screwed it up. You know, it's not really – I mean, let's 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 be fair here. Uh, Jacksonville, they don't okay. really have a good run. Ga- they don't really have a good run game either. You know, Carlos no. had nine, only nine carries. James Robinson only had five for twenty-five yards. I think Jacksonville was really intent on building their run game around Travis Etienne, and when he got yeah. injured for the season, pretty much told them right then and there okay, we have to switch this thing up and turn into a, into a pass-heavy offense, which right, I right. Mean, the, usual, the usual suspects did get their, uh, you know, they did get their, their shots. DJ Chark, three catches, surprisingly, on, on 12 targets for 86 yards and a touchdown. Marvin Jones, the uh, new, uh, newly acquired from uh, from Detroit over the offseason, five catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr. had seven catches for 50 yards. James O'Shaughnessy, the uh, lead tight end, six, uh, six catches for 48 yards. So, you know, it's, it, 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 it's obvious at this point that this is probably going to be a very pass-heavy team this year for Jacksonville because of the fact it's that it's also going to be a shit time for Jacksonville. Uh, yeah. Especially considering the fact that FTN was taken out of the picture before the season even started. However, this yeah. Houston team, this Houston team, I got to tell you, I was very surprised at how maybe, maybe Jacksonville just, sucks that badly on defense. But I was very oh, yeah, surprised. Did. I was very surprised with what I saw out of Houston. Tyrod Taylor looked like Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo. 291 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he also ran four times for 40 yards as well. But Mark Ingram turning back the clock, uh, 85 yards for with a touchdown run on 26 carries. Philip Lindsay, eight carries for 25 yards and a touchdown run. Brandon Cooks, five catches, 132 yards. Farrell Brown, four catches for 67. I mean, this, you know, you wouldn't know it by this game whether or not Houston was actually missing Deshaun Watson. Oh, he was. You wouldn't know it at all. Yeah. That that was just one of the games that we had last week. Uh, one of the most talked about games, though, was the short the short victory for the Miami Dolphins, seventeen to sixteen over the New England Patriots, and it was talked about in in different ways. You know, Tua he seemingly struggled throughout most of the uh throughout most of the game for the for the Dolphins even though even though he had 202 yards a touchdown and a pick a lot of people were expecting a lot more out of Tua yeah. compared to what we compared to what we got he oh he did also have a rushing touchdown too uh but you you know I guess a lot of people expected more out of him and now 
you kind of have to wonder if 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 he's going to put together these type of games where they're very close instead of being able to capitalize on certain mistakes that the Patriots made, you kind of have to wonder if Miami may still go for Deshaun Watson after all this. Hmm. He just might do that. Because, because when you have a team, granted, you know, granted they did not have Will Fuller, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have a couple of people. On, on Miami's uh, side. So maybe that might have played a factor in the, you know, the score being so low. But yes. this did also open the door for rookie Jalen Waddle to have himself quite a first NFL game out of Alabama. Four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown catch uh, as well. He was a, one of the two focal po- focal points of their offense between him and Devontae Parker uh, attacking that New England defense, that tough New England defense. And literally the, like the, the whole game was pretty much decided on a last second fumble by Damian Harris as New England had gotten themselves to the, I think it was the 10 yard line of Miami and Damian Harris could not hold on to the football, and it was recovered. Xavier Howard, the uh, Pro Bowl cornerback for the uh, for the Miami Dolphins. However, you know w- Waddle wasn't the only Alabama alumnus that was talked about in this game. Uh, neither was Damian Harris. A lot of people praised the work of Mac Jones in his NFL debut. 281 yards, one t- granted only one touchdown, uh, but 281 yards, 29 completions on 39 attempts. You know, a, a lot of people sort of ragged on him a bit for the backwards lateral that he did in the early early on in the first quarter, but th- I mean that didn't really re- that didn't really amount to anything, anyways, uh, affecting the team negatively. But this was an all-out solid rookie debut for Mac Jones. Yeah. I mean, what what are your thoughts, Lou? Because you know the the biggest the big the biggest topic of discussion this off season and preseason was would New England be better off with Cam Newton at center, or would they be better no. with Mac Jones behind center? Jones, I mean, because Cam Cam didn't do anything really for. Uh, for the wing one, he wouldn't take him back, so it's gonna have to be, uh, you know, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't even go with, with with him. Forget it. And you know, one of the big things that was talked about as well was the fact that Mac Jones showed a lot of poise in a rookie debut. When normally you have you have some rookies that are that are hesitant. You know, they make rookie mistakes early on. But there were some players that said Mac Jones looked like a veteran out there. But he he looked very comfortable, not really shaken up at all by uh, by the rookie nerves for making his debut. You know, I think it's possible. Granted, it's very early on here, but I think it's possible New England may have found their guy, despite the uh, despite the close uh, upset. All right. 
Now, on New, Eng- on New England's side, uh, Damian Harris, he had 23 carries for 100 yards, but the big play that was talked about was the very uh, last play of New England's uh, last drive, which resulted in a fumble by Damian Harris, and Howard recovered the ball, and that was basically the game for uh, – and the the end of – the Patriots' potential comeback. Uh, however, Nelson Aguilar, uh, he basically Aguilar. showed uh, – he, he pretty much showed that uh, he is still the guy that the Patriots signed him for, being the the lead receiver originally from the Vegas Raiders. Uh, he did have five catches for 72 yards and a touchdown catch uh, in this game. James White, six catches, 49 yards. Jacoby Myers had six catches as well for 44 yards. Jonu Smith with five catches for 42. And Hunter Henry with three catches for 31 yards. Kendrick Bourne also had a single catch for 17 yards as well. So this seems like a really spread out offense passing-wise for, for New England. And Assuming we're going to see this sort of same, you know, sort of same turnout for uh, for what New England is planning on doing with their with their offensive scheme, I think it's possible yeah. that uh, depend. Obviously, you know, once Mac he, uh, continues to get comfortable with the uh, with the different uh, the different offensive plays that they're going to run. I think it's quite possible, despite this, uh, despite this bad start, New England may potentially make it back into the playoffs this year. I mean, they have the Jets this week, which uh, will be the matchup between Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. Obviously, we saw what the Jets did last week. The Jets were the Jets, essentially. And well, no, hold on. I mean, they had they had a good outing. I mean, they did come back, and Wilson had a great game, but you know, it was just a little bit uh, too much to come back from. But overall, they did not have a bad game. I mean, yeah, they you know they 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 did lose a close one, nineteen fourteen. But I just I kind of felt that there were wasted opportunities. You know, I mean, okay, Corey, Corey Davis. Corey Davis, he did have both touchdown catches uh, for 97 yards on five uh, on five catches overall. Uh, Braxton Berrios did have five catches for 51 yards, and Denzel Mims had a 40-yard catch, but that was literally his only target of the whole game. But you know, it it, it kind of seemed like there were there were missed opportunities for the Jets, and. It, 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 I mean, it, it really has to hurt the fact that Sam Darnold, honestly, he probably outperformed uh, Zach Wilson in his debut. Because yeah. Dar- Darnold, 279 yards. Uh, he did also have a rushing touchdown as well, but he had a touchdown throw to Robbie Anderson, uh, coincidentally a former Jet as well for 57 yards. Uh, but obviously, you know, they have the two big two big receivers on Carolina, although he is a running back, but I consider him a receiver as well. Christian McCaffrey, nine catches, 89 yards. Uh, DJ Moore, six catches for 80 yards. You know, it's 
it's just a matter it's just a matter of you know with New York it was basically too little too late essentially because they yes. really didn't score they really didn't score until the second half and yet Carolina if they hadn't scored in the second half at all they still would have beat the Jets by two points because Carolina scored most of their points in the in that second quarter due to a uh, due, well I shouldn't say due to an interception because the interception only resulted in three points anyways but you know it's like I said it was definitely definitely missed opportunities uh, for the Jets no question in their first matchup. Uh, the Washington football team, you know, a lot of people were looking at them as potentially being uh, being front runners for the NFC East this week uh, this year. However, uh, if they are going to potentially try and make a run at all, they're going to have to do it without uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as he is out yeah. with a uh, I think what well, what is it a hip pointer? Yes. I I I forget I forget the you know the exact It's a hip uh, injury. Yeah, I know I know it's a hip injury, but I you know, I don't know the exact thing. I know I know he's been placed on injured reserve for uh 3 weeks and they're looking to see whether or not he can uh whether or not he'll be able to uh to rehab it. Uh he ended up taking a hard hit in the second quarter and was basically ruled out of the rest of the game after that. And uh Taylor Heineke, of course, uh ended up taking over for uh for Fitzpatrick and just wasn't enough for the Chargers though. Uh Justin Herbert, three hundred and thirty seven yards, one touchdown and one pick uh for for the day for the Chargers. Austin Eckler, fifteen carries, fifty seven yards and a touchdown run. Keenan Allen, he showed off nine catches, 100 yards. Mike Williams, eight catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Jared, Jared Cook, five catches, 56 yards. But the Washington football team, Fitzpatrick, he only lasted, what, one series? Yes. Or was it – or no, wait, no. It was, it was probably – wait. Because it was the second quarter, it was probably like two or three series, maybe. But he only threw three passes, or three—he only completed three passes out of six attempts for 13 yards. Before Heineke came in, took over. He fit, he finished uh, 11 of 15 for 122 yards and a touchdown throw. Uh, Antonio Gibson, 20 carries, 90 yards. Obviously, you know their lead, uh, their lead running back, so that makes sense. Terry McLaurin, four catches, sixty-two yards. Logan Thomas had three catches for thirty yards, uh, and one of those catches being a touchdown grab as well. Uh, so, you know, it, it really kind of seems like, uh, at least early on, you know, maybe perhaps this isn't Washington's. Uh, this isn't a runaway season for Washington here, despite all the dysfunction uh, that is going on in the NFC East. Now, I say that because 
we all saw what happened uh, this past Thursday night on Thursday Night Football with the New York Giants. The New York Giants falling to the Washington football team 30-29 to with Washington scoring 13 fourth-quarter points. And all I can – you know, I I heard there was arguing and fighting on the Giants' sideline. Uh, It it, it just doesn't – it just doesn't sound good. Yeah, 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 that's right. Actually, if I – uh, take up. Let me see if I if I can look this up here. Uh, yeah, their left guard Nick Gates was forced from the game with a broken left leg. Uh, one of the worst in recent memory, from what they're saying, with a uh, his leg bending yeah. away that it never that it never should have. Uh, he had just slid over from the pivot to replace uh, Shane Lemieux, who was on who was placed on injured reserve. Uh, and now they're going to basically, you know, obviously he's done for the year and uh, the hope is he'll be able to return to compete for, for a starting position next year. Uh, he is signed through 2022. So, so it'll be probably a, uh, it'll probably be a contract year for him next year. Uh, he was a 16 game starter last season. So, you know, this is, this is a pretty big loss for the Giants losing one of their regular, one of their regular starters here. Uh, but, you know, apart from the injury, it seems like there's even more dysfunction going on uh, within the giant, within the Giants uh, team overall, as apparently, I guess, well, was there, there was some sort of arguing with uh, between coaches and players or something. And, yeah. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with uh, with the way that the team completely broke down late in the game. Yes. Yeah, do you remember, like Lou? It was it was something like that, if I recall. I mean, you know, this this but, was yeah, supposed to be this was supposed to be a season that with Saquon Barkley coming back, uh, yeah. you know that the Giants were supposed to potentially take that next step and, you know, become legitimate contenders or maybe not legitimate contenders, but, you know, maybe at least try and make a playoff push. And I mean, at least early on here, you know, they're 0-2. It doesn't look like we're going to get that. You know, Daniel Jones, though, I will say. Well, 3-0-2 isn't panic button time, you know. No, but at the same time, you know, granted, actually, I should uh, I should run this back actually and say, you know, granted, the NFC East is usually so close, uh, considering last year, that it is possible that maybe New York will. Uh, oh wow, yeah, you know, I I'm watching the highlights here actually. Darius Slayton should have had that wide open grab uh, uh-huh. late in the fourth quarter. And I think I think that's who he was arguing with. I think it, I think it was Daniel Jones arguing with Darius Slayton. Uh, yeah, that should have been an easy touchdown. The Giants should have been up by thirteen, and instead they just completely fell apart very late. And that 
ultimately, I mean, the the door technically, yeah, it is still going to be open. Uh, considering the fact that you know Washington, they're without their uh, lead quarterback. They're without they're without Ryan Fitzpatrick for the next couple of weeks at least. The Cowboys, yeah. you know, the the Cowboys are zero and one. But you know, like I said last week to you uh, on on the podcast yeah. here, I feel that the Cowboys could potentially make a run over these next couple of weeks, just based off of right. who they're facing. And with the game that Dak Prescott had, I mean, it has to be very encouraging to, you know, to see that it's only because they were facing Tom Brady and that unfair uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense that the, that the Cowboys lost last week. That's really the only reason you can give that they lost. That's right. Uh, so, you know, I'm and and plus, uh, obviously, the Eagles. You know, they've started out with a one and zero record. Obviously, that could change if uh, if the Cowboys beat them this week. So, the NFC East. I mean, right. it, it's it's very easy to to look at uh, the results of Week One and say, oh, okay, so this is going to be a bad season for for a specific team, but. I mean, th- there are some teams that you can look at and say. Well, this is basically the usual, what we usually expect out of them uh, every single year. Uh, you know, it's, it's in some cases, it wouldn't come as a surprise to certain fans. Now, speaking yeah. of Philly, speaking of Philly, they had quite the dominant week last week with a 32-6 to victory over the Atlanta Falcons. And... I think Jalen Hurts pretty much shut up everybody who said that he shouldn't be the starter in Philly. 27 completions. He only missed eight passes. 264 yards, three touchdown passes. He also had seven carries for 62 yards on top of that. Uh, Miles Sanders, of course, 15 carries, 74 yards uh, as well for their run game. But with the leading uh, or the, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, for, for his first touchdown of his NFL career. Uh, he connected with Jalen Rager as well for a touchdown and Dallas Goddard for a touchdown. Devontae yes. Smith, six catches, 71 yards. Jalen Rager, six catches, 49 yards. And Dallas Goddard, four catches, 42 yards. And to be perfectly honest, I think I'm very shocked at how bad the Falcons looked this year, how bad the Falcons looked Uh past week. I mean, Matt Ryan, he threw for 164 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, and yet they only put up six points. They couldn't even score a single touchdown. No. Cordero Patterson, he's not even a rusher, and he was their lead rusher for seven carries for 54 yards. Usually he's a wideout. Mike Davis had 15 carries for 49 yards. Calvin Ridley, he had five catches for 51 yards. Kyle Pitts, uh, the highly touted rookie out of Florida, 
He had four catches for 31 yards. You know, if this is any indication of what the Falcons are going to be like this year without Julio Jones, and, you know, Julio Jones, that's a whole entire – exactly. It's going to be a very long year for Falcons fans. I'm not surprised. The Falcons are – ever since they lost the Super Bowl, they've been a joke – yeah, and actually, you know, uh, Tom Brady. Now they get Tom Brady in a rematch for uh, it, from, from the Super Bowl. So, well, and he's already told in this game. Yeah, and that's why the spread is twelve and a half points. Yeah, in no, favor of. Uh, yeah, I don't need to play the balls here. But. You know, I want uh, going over to the Tennessee matchup with Arizona last week. Since we were, since we mentioned Julio Jones, uh, obviously, first game for Julio Jones with his new team, and needless to say, he is not. Apparently, he is not worth the money that he is getting. Three catches for twenty for twenty nine yards. In what was what looks to be a high-powered Tennessee offense was held at bay by the Arizona Cardinals defense, and in particular, I I mean I will say you know Chandler Jones with uh you know with six sacks in the first or actually no I'm sorry five sacks in the first quarter alone. I mean that right there pretty much shows you. It's going to be a very long day for uh, yeah. for that Tennessee Titans offense. Uh, but Chandler Jones, you know, not only did he have five sacks, he had four tackles for loss as well on the day. So uh, obviously, you know, also they got they had Isaiah Simmons the second year out of uh, out of Clemson, I believe, uh, that Isaiah Simmons came out of. Uh, obviously, you know. Strong play by Buda Baker as well. Uh, you know, I honestly looking at Arizona, even though they uh, they don't have uh, Larry Fitzgerald this year. DeAndre yeah. Hopkins six six catches for eighty three yards and two touchdowns. Christian Kirk making a jump from last year five catches seventy yards and two touchdowns. Tyler Murray total touchdowns passing. He did have a pick also. 289 yards. He did also have five carries for 20 yards and a touchdown run. Uh, For them to basically manhandle one of the AFC contenders like they did this week or this past week, I think it's safe to say you might be looking at Arizona as a potential dark horse contender if they can finally put everything all together. Now, granted, they are in a stacked yeah. NFC West. Hey, what are your thoughts on that, Lou? That is a, that is a very stacked NFC West. And the fact they've had, you know, they went four and zero last week in competition, as long as and the uh, AFC West as well too. So we've got some uh, pretty good, we got some pretty good stacked up uh, divisions so far after the first week. So uh, I wouldn't uh, yeah. look at this too lightly. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I uh, I think in particular, I mean, specifically yeah. with the AFC West, you know, I don't think a lot of people were expecting the Chargers or the Broncos to start off strong. I mean, it's hard to say you're starting no. off strong when it's literally the first when it's literally the first week of the season. It's hard to say you're starting off strong. Right. I think they kind. I think people kind of expected it from Vegas, and I think people kind of expect. Obviously, they expect it from Kansas City as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think the big thing with Kansas City too. I don't think a lot of people were expecting uh, that matchup last week to be close. No. For Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas City only winning by four points against the Cleveland Browns, you know, grant, granted Cleveland has, uh, has risen in uh, the later years of Baker Mayfield's tenure with them. Well, but I wasn't expecting considering, the Saints um, match to be a blowout. Yes. Yeah. You know, and we kind of, we kind of talked about this uh, last week in sports whispers when the games were going on. I kind of think that Aaron Rodgers is mentally checked out yeah. of the NFL. Now, granted, you know, he did the hosting job with Jeopardy. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's the fact that, you know, he has a uh, – he he has this this bitter rivalry with the general manager – apparently. And for, for what reason I will never understand, but you know, he, he's just so much better than what, than what he showed against the saints, 133 yards, no touchdowns and two picks thrown. Yeah. And it also didn't help as well that Aaron Jones didn't even bother to show up only five carries for nine yards. Either, Either the Saints are just really that damn good this year on defense, or Matt LaFleur just basically decided, you know what, screw it. It's the very first week. I'm just not going to do jack yeah, shit sure. for, the, for this entire game. I would think that. I mean, you can't tell by the first week how good somebody is. You really can't. No, you, you can't. Know, you can be, good, you can be good one week, and the next week you could, you could tank, and you can, you know, Really stink up the joint. So I really don't think one the first game of the season. It to me it doesn't indicate anything. I mean, because you can be one and zero, and they can be the Jacksonville Jaguars who went one and fifteen the rest of the way of the last season. So it doesn't mean a thing. And of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. are down as jack shit. Yeah, and not to mention they made uh, they made Jameis Winston look like an All Pro. Or actually, I shouldn't even say that because, I mean, no, you no, take no, a look. No. You want to talk. You want to talk about Aaron Rodgers' numbers. You take a look at Jameis Winston's numbers. Yeah. Out of all the points that they scored, now keep in mind they scored 35 offensive points, uh, mm-hmm. with obviously obviously a field goal as well, but 14 completions out of 20 attempts for Jameis Winston. 148 yards only, along with five touchdown passes. How do you get five touchdown passes on 148 yards? Yeah. Oh, wait, I know. It was the numerous turnovers on downs the Packers had. Going four and out. 
going four and out so many times. But on the on the on the flip side though for the Saints, Alvin Kamara, twenty carries, eighty three yards. Tony Jones had eleven carries for fifty yards. Jameis Winston even had a couple of carries for thirty seven rushing yards of his own. Uh Deontay Harris seventy two yards. Uh, 72 yards for Deontay Harris on two catches for one, uh, with one touchdown grab. Uh, Juwan Johnson had three catches for 21 yards, including two touchdowns. Chris Hogan, ha- uh, in his return to the NFL, had one, tu- one catch, a 10-yard catch for a touchdown. And uh, Alvin Kamara had three catches of his own for eight yards, including a touchdown grab as well. So, you know, this was a very high-powered offense for the Saints. Now, the question is, will they be able to continue it heading into heading into this week's matchup uh, going up against the Carolina Panthers, who Carolina just barely hung on to beat the Jets this past week? Right. Yeah, I tell you, I, and you know. I guess oh. maybe maybe we'll we'll finally see you know how this defense adapts to the hybrid style of Christian McCaffrey you know right I think I think this I think this may be one of those true tests uh early on that the Saints defense will have to see if they're for real or if Aaron Rodgers was just having a bad game last week Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on one you can't tell. Oh, and two. Mm, well, it's still turning the panic button, but you can sense a little something, you know, when you're owing, owing two. I mean, the Giants, you know, just like uh, this past week, I don't think a lot of people expect them to be owing two. Well, I'll tell you when you're not, because you just uh, you could have won that game even though you uh, screwed up at the end. So basically, you really should be one yeah. one. You know, it's not time to hit the panic button yet. I mean, if you're 0-4, yeah, that is going to be a little bit concerned. But uh, 0-2, no, especially thanks to a technicality because you screwed up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, uh, here's a perfect example here. You know, Cleveland, they're 0-1 after losing a a, uh, close one to Kansas City. However, they have Houston coming up next this week. Yeah. So it's definitely, I feel, would probably be a bounce-back game for Cleveland that they should win. Should be. Should obviously, be. Of course, obviously, of course, considering how dynamic Houston's offense was last week against Jacksonville, you know, this will be another one of those games where we'll see, is Houston's offense for real or were they just the beneficiary of Jacksonville absolutely sucking last year? Or, I mean, last week. Yeah. Well, they do suck they back to last year anyway, so you can look at it that way, too. Yeah, but still, you know, yeah. they – it's – they have Trevor Lawrence. You know, they have yeah. a guy who's won – they have a guy who, who's won uh, a national title with Clemson. You know they should be they should be better than what than what they showed last week. Absolutely, I mean you you think you expect better from a Heisman and Silver and top draft pick, but as usual, 
they always come up, they come up short, and he turns out to be instead of being a hero, he comes out to be a zero. I mean, hell, Houston's Houston's defense in all of 2020 had three picks in all of 2020. They matched that last week. So yeah. you know, it's a case of. It's a case of is Jacksonville's offense just that horrible, or yes. is Houston's or or is Houston uh, overall, you know, a much better team? Well, listen, anybody playing Jacksonville is a much better team because we know how Jacksonville is, you know. But I wouldn't say that Houston's dominant. Yeah, you know, Jacksonville. Jacksonville is just a shit team. That doesn't even want to play in the NFL. I think they should make a realignment and send them to Canada. I mean, hell, there's uh, there's always the possibility that maybe we could see a Canadian team. I, yeah, I think have them replace have them replace Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, that could possibly yeah. happen. Um, we listen. Now, I think it could because if you're that bad, you don't belong playing in the NFL anyway. You dimwit. Now we have one. We go from one quarterback who should be doing who, who should you know one quarterback who's a rookie to a veteran who should be doing a lot better than he is, and that's Andy Dalton last week. Uh. Chicago Bear fans. Chicago Bear fans were calling for his head early on in I the game. It. I knew it. I told you, I told you, Bears fans, you'd be sorry by taking Dalton. As much as I was going to for my brother's sake, but I knew it. You made the biggest mistake by laying, by having the worst quarterback in the league take over. Oh, God. And that early miscue, I told you so. Very early, that early miscue, just five plays into the game, set up L.A. in perfect position for Matthew Stafford to throw his first touchdown as an L.A. Ram to Van Jefferson for 67 yards. For 67 yards. Oh, God. And the whole rest of the game was pretty much the Matt Stafford show with 321 321 yards for three touchdown passes. He only missed six attempts the whole game. Yes. Daryl Henderson had 16 carries for 70 yards, including a touchdown run. Uh, as far as receivers go, Cooper Cup, seven catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Van Jefferson, obviously he had the huge touchdown catch, but he, uh, he did have uh, one other catch as well for a total of 80 yards between both catches. Uh, Tyler Higby, five catches, 68 yards. I think it's safe to say that Matt Stafford is saying, thank God I am no longer a Detroit Lion, and I can actually hey, go somewhere. Wh- I can actually go somewhere where I have credible receivers. I was going to say thank God about Andy Dalton. And, you know, we did see Justin Fields. Granted, he, he only threw two passes. Uh, in the Bears' loss, but something tells me that isn't the last we're going to see of him this season. I have a feeling sooner rather than later, Fields is probably going to take Dalton's place. Uh, They were one Dalton's head first. 
my brother, I, I, I tried to warn my brother, but he didn't listen. No, nah, it's only going to be one week. Yeah, well, it should have been because you know, and they still want to keep him. Yeah. Oh, it's not going to be just one week. This is, it's not just going to be one week. Uh, your brother should expect a lot of this from Andy Dalton. This I season. tried to warn him, but he listened to me. Nah, nah of course not. Because he loves his Bears that he doesn't care who is the quarterback. And I said, look, I said, look, I got two words to say to you about this. I'm sorry. And he yeah. should be. Uh, now, we had also we had also the San Francisco 49ers uh, talk about another quarterback battle. You know, a lot of people feel that Trey Lance is eventually going to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Garoppolo, uh, he didn't have a bad game, even though he started off, no. uh, you know, he started off very, uh, very iffy with the fumble on the very first play. Uh, yes. But he did he did ultimately end up recovering for the rest of the game, 17 catch or 17 passes completed for 314 yards and a touchdown pass. Trey Lance though, Trey Lance in his first uh, bit of action in the, in his NFL career did throw a short pass five yards for a touchdown uh, to give the 49ers a seven, nothing lead at that time. Now, of course, 49ers ended up going on to win 41 to 33, but you know, it's, I really do think that when they talked about potentially running a dual quarterback system, I think we may actually see that in San Francisco this year. Yeah. It could be a potential quarterback quarterback by committee, uh, you know, uh, strategy that they use out there. And it kind of makes sense because, honestly, Lance, he's a much better runner than Garoppolo is. So maybe uh-huh. if they were to implement – maybe if they were to implement uh, something like the Wildcat or something, I don't know. Well, actually, no, that wouldn't make sense because uh, Lance wouldn't be yeah, under center at that point. But, you know, it's uh, it's a promising start, at least, for the 49ers. Uh, Eli Mitchell, 19 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown run. Uh, they did have a devastating injury, though, to Raheem Mostert, only two carries for 20 yards, and he was then taken out of the game uh, due, to, due to an injury. Uh, he exited with a knee injury, downgraded to out, and it was then announced that he will be pro- he will be placed on injured reserve for eight games, pretty yeah. much missing half of the season here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, after suffering uh, a knee cartilage injury, it says. So, you know, ever since he ever since he had that huge breakout year in 2019. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy whatsoever in order to contribute yeah. out there for the for the 49ers. So this is a huge loss to their run game. Uh, plus, they also had Trey Sermon inactive, so that's why Elijah Mitchell had such a huge game. And Jermichael Hasty also had a three-yard touchdown on his only run of the, uh, of the game as well. But you know, this is – it's definitely going to be a huge loss for uh, for that, or that San Francisco offense 
with monsters Uh-oh. having, you know, having that uh, that motor that he usually has. And not Stay just for that, the but they also. All right, that's great. That's great to hear, Lou. Um, also, the Niners they lost Jason Barrett as well last uh, last week to a torn ACL. Uh, he's basically out for the remainder of the season. Uh, I mean, his this this shouldn't come as a surprise though because he has such a brutal injury history, only appearing in just six games between the 2016 and 2019 seasons. Uh, he played all of last year with uh, with staying in good health, and now he's he's pretty much done. For, uh, for the entire year this year and the only good side of this is he should be able to return in time for training camp for next season but uh, that's a huge blow to the uh, to the 49ers uh, defense so it's you know it's bad enough that they're already without Raheem Mostert but now it's it's almost as if that injuries may potentially become uh, he, with with the with the uh, injuries are happening so far this season and also in the preseason, yeah. I think it's possible that injuries may become another big storyline once again this year. Unfortunately, yes. I mean, last season I could have understood that because they didn't have any, any prep time for training camp and whatnot. That was going to happen, but I don't see what's you know. What's the big thing? That, I mean, what's happening this year with the injuries? I mean, they they came just from we uh, more well prepared for it, you know, this year. I mean, they had the uh, training camp, the practices and whatnot, and they should be used to it. But we're seeing some uh, pretty big time injuries here for the uh, early part of the season. Not a good sign. I mean, could could it be possible? Like, what the hell? Could it be possibly that maybe. Could it be possibly that maybe uh, part of this has to do with the fact that they only had three weeks of preseason instead of four, or do you think hmm. that well wasn't really maybe a factor? Well, I get the reason why they had four, you know, uh, more tune-ups, you know, but that's what you get for you want to get an extra week in the season, so they had to uh, you know cut the line somewhere. Yeah, you know, a lot of people can, you know, you can take, you know, you can take a look because, like, uh, four games is too long for preseason and whatnot. They were, you know, using that bitch factor. But, um, you know, so it's it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, well, think of it when they had six preseason games and, like, you know, everybody was probably bitching about that. Now, of course, that was prior to 1978, which was which actually was in my lifetime. I'm not as young as you think you were. I'm not as young as you think I am. So, um, you know, I, I do remember that. And then if for some reason that they said they're going to go to two, uh, if the league fans to 18-game season, uh, that could create more of a problem because you still are going to cut, you know, um, preseason games or practices, and maybe that might create more injuries. You yeah, you know, it. I kind of – I kind of have to wonder if they're going to extend potentially to 18 weeks. I kind of wonder if they may extend uh, they may extend roster size, period. I think it might have to. Because you have to take into account, obviously, the fact that there there's going to potentially be more injuries. I mean, injuries – obviously, every year there's going to be injuries. But it 
really seems like oh yeah, uh, but not within, the, rampant, within the last yeah, not as rampant as it has been the last couple of years. And if that continues to be a problem, you know, they may have to potentially look at okay, you know, we gotta we gotta at least maybe expand the roster size to you better you know instead instead of having you know, the limit that they currently have right now, you know, we're going to... Which is 53, right? 50, 53, yeah. You know, instead of having a 53-man roster, maybe maybe we should, you know, expand it out. I mean, obviously, they already have practice squad players, but yes, there's only, there's only a certain amount of times per year that you can call up a practice squad member before you have to actually either sign them outright or flat out or, or, you know, release them. You know, it's kind yeah. of like what New England did. Uh, what New England did this week, they signed uh, Brian Hoyer for the rest of the season because uh, Quinn Norton, their kicker, that they had on the roster ended up going out with an injury. He is, uh, that he suffered during, uh, during practice. He's been placed on injured reserve. Now, I does not. Let me double check. Does it actually say here? It it says, it says it's an abdominal injury that he likely, that he likely suffered during practice. Not good. So, so he's going to be out for at least three weeks. And Nick Folk, who, I mean, let's face it, Nick Folk was the kicker anyways last week. Uh, Norton didn't even right, see right. any action. Uh, yes. I think the thing the thing with New England is the reason why they have Norton on the main roster is the fact that they're afraid that if they if they put him out to waivers and try to bring him onto the practice squad, that somebody's going to immediately sign him because of uh, because of the power that he has in his kicks. Right, of course. I think that's the big thing that New England is looking at. I mean, this is a kid. This is a kid who can hit sixty yarders. That was able to hit sixty yarders in college. Wow! But his big problem is his accuracy. Uh huh. So, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's just to the yeah. back to the injury thing. Back to the injury thing. You know, there's. I mean, there were there were a ton of injuries this week. I mean, just uh, just yeah. looking at some of them. Uh, Quan Alexander, uh, the Saints are losing yes. him for at least uh, for at least three weeks with a elbow injury. Played sixty percent of the defensive snaps this week uh, against the Packers. Uh, Brian Bulaga for the Chargers. He's been placed on injured reserve with a back injury. Uh, he ended up playing the first half before he went down with the uh, with the injury. Uh, he'll be out for at least uh, three games. Uh, obviously, you know we mentioned uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick miss, uh, going down with a hip injury. Uh, the Packers yeah. they placed uh, Zadarius Smith on injured reserve mm-hmm. with a back injury. Uh, it right. sounds like it's they they're saying that they're shutting him down for a while, but it sounds like he How could long is a while? be lost. It, they did not say. 
they yeah, they hope to potentially get him back this season, but from all indications, it kind of sounds like he may be done for the year. Yeah, I mean, that's, what I, was, that's look, what I was thinking. They're going to look at the timeline, you know, the amount of time that they have to potentially activate him right. once his uh, stay on injured reserve uh, is up. Feel like he hasn't made any progress on rehab. It's possible he may be shut down for the year. And considering he was an all-pro last year with 12 and a half sacks, that's a huge loss to the Packers' defense. Yeah. Well, so, in the words of it, uh, they tell me I should go to rehab. I said, no, no, no. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Have to do it. You know, not just, uh, not just that, but I gotta also. Take, I got to take one call. I'll be back in five minutes. All right. All right. Well, back to you. you know, we will. Okay. Uh, you know, while we're while we're uh, while Lou takes his call, we are going to uh, we're going to go a little bit away from the NFL, and we're going to talk about the Ric Flair situation that is currently going on in uh, professional wrestling. Obviously, uh, you know there was the dark side of the ring that that huge uh, wrestling series. Uh, that has, you know, been talking about some of the some of the stuff that has happened in the ring that are, are not in the ring but outside of the ring. You know that people may not know about behind the scenes and stuff like that. The big thing that was talked about this week was the infamous quote unquote plane ride from hell. Uh, that took place in May of 2002, just before Judgment Day, uh, involving multiple WWE stars, including Ric Flair, Scott Hall, uh, Tommy Dreamer, and Goldust, or Dustin Rhodes, as he's uh, as he's known as. Uh, part of the part of the episode this week talked about how Ric Flair allegedly exposed himself to a flight attendant while on the plane ride from hell, as they call it. Uh, He ended up being sued in 2004 by two flight attendants that were on that flight uh, that their names have been released. uh, Tara Lynn Capilano and Heidi Doyle. Uh, Doyle ended up appearing on dark side of the ring and she ended up talking about Ric Flair's behavior. Uh, She, stated, I was in the galley, Ric Flair was naked in a cape only, and then he decided to come back to the galley to get a Coke, and then he wouldn't leave the galley. He had me up against the back door, and I couldn't move. I couldn't get away from him. I couldn't move. He was spinning around his dick, basically like a helicopter, essentially, uh, as Tommy Dreamer put it, and he wanted me to touch it. He took my hand and put it on him. During the episode, uh, Dreamer defended Flair and appeared to make light of the incident uh, by saying he could move his hips, twirl it, and so his well-endowed member spins around like a helicopter. 
so, hey, he's the nature boy for a reason. He's got a hammer on him. Ric Flair's not going to try to impose by force any sexual stuff onto anybody. He's just flaunting, styling, and profiling, doing the Ric Flair stuff where everybody's going to laugh about it. But obviously someone took offense to it. And apparently uh, this resulted in a potential, I believe there was some sort of settlement that was done by the, uh, by the WWE where uh, payouts were handed out to the two, uh, the two flight attendants apparently. Uh, and Doyle even noted during the episode that her husband urged her to take the payout because he didn't want the story to be made public. And she even suggested that money can silence victims, to which Dreamer ended up responding that if that's how she felt, maybe she should have not taken a payout and went to the fullest extent of the law to then truly put this heinous person in jail, my opinion. He then continued to say, I feel this is trying to portray someone as a sexual predator, and it's not. It's a joke. It's a gag. And today, a thousand percent inappropriate. I've hung out with Rick, with Ric Flair. I've never seen him try to force his will against anybody. Uh, Rob Van Dam, who is, of course, a WWE Hall of Famer, and he was on that same flight as well, the uh, the Uh-oh. noted flight from hell. Uh, mm. And it's it's got it's kind of funny that you join that you join us back on here now, Lou. Uh, obviously, Please. you know, uh, one of the big stories that has come out this week we we sort of switched we switched over a little bit here uh to the wwe for a quick second uh one of the biggest stories that has come out this week was the uh dark have you ever heard of dark side of the ring that documentary series uh on professional wrestling on behind the scenes uh i might have heard of it i don't think i've ever seen it but i think i did hear something on the news about it Apparently, the infamous plane ride from hell from 2002 was was the was one of the topics of discussion of this past mm-hmm. week's episode, and basically, the plane ride from hell had had numerous stars like Ric Flair, Scott Hall, uh, Tommy Dreamer, and Goldust. Uh, although other people mm. now know him as Dustin Rhodes in AEW. Dustin Rhodes, yes, I know it is. Yeah. And basically, they're saying that Ric Flair, or he was sued back in 2004 by two flight attendants that were on that plane ride, and essentially it was it ended up being settled by the WWE out of court. Uh, a uh, hush payment was basically given. You can basically say. And ah, the old hush money routines. And basically, uh, they were saying how Flair was naked and essentially tried to force them to do uh, to do sexual acts that obviously they didn't want to do. Um, and you know, one of the flight attendants that was on that flight and was one of the victims, uh, as they put it. Uh, you know, spoke out about the incident on the episode this week, and she her her story was corroborated by WWE Hall of Famer Rob Van Dam, who was also on that same flight. Uh, uh-huh. 
directly corroborated her story saying that uh, he remembered him crowding her and trying to make her touch him and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah. Now, basically, it's obviously it's very it's very wrong the fact that he even exposed himself to begin with, regardless if it was a if it was a private flight or not, if it was a private flight or not. Uh, But you know, uh, he's since been silent on this whole ordeal. Uh, However, he has had numerous uh, numerous endorsement deals. Uh, get taken away from him because of it. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, he got suspended by Impact Wrestling this past week because of his comments that were made uh, in the documentary. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, there's been no known punishment as of yet uh, in regards to his employment with AEW, whether or not uh, he's going to face anything. But basically... You know, everybody's always heard about Ric Flair and Space Mountain and everything and, and, you know, over the years in professional wrestling. And everybody just saw it as, you know, oh, that's just Ric Flair. However, this most recent uh, episode of The Dark Side of the Ring, it's basically sort of turned the fans against Ric Flair because of the fact that, you know, he was basically painted out to be a pervert, but also, a, you know, a gigantic scumbag. I uh, was, what are, I what are your the, thoughts on that, Lou? Well, I'm trying to was you know, called a flight from hell. I mean, you know, I met a few of those myself. So, like, oh, because of the incident where where he was uh, groping uh, or exposing himself, is that what made it the flight from hell, or did it go beyond that? Because, well, a lot of it was, can be it a flight was from hell. Yeah, it was, it was that, and apparently, you know, it was – it was a combination of things. It was that, and also I remember, I remember this being talked about before on WWE, uh, one of the episodes that they did for the WWE Network. Which, by the way, ever since uh, this story, ever since this story broke this week, uh, it has yes. since been removed from the network uh, because of that. Shock. Uh, but I remember them saying that there were multiple things that were going on besides Flair acting like a drunk idiot. uh, You know, there was, there were multiple altercations between wrestlers apparently on that flight. You know, it was basically dubbed the flight from hell. I get it now. Yeah. Right. And plus they were on their way. They were on their way to like a huge pay-per-view. It was WWE judgment day that they were getting ready for. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, there was there were a lot of things that were contributing to it, but the the main story coming out of that was the Ric Flair situation. And minute, it's the uh, one that's most notable. For a minute, I thought you were describing my flight from, from New Jersey to Arizona one night because that was a flight from hell, too. <laughs> Turbulence, <laughs> storms, everything, that was a flight from hell. I don't know how I survived that. I had to, I had to provide it for about an hour. Yeah. Yeah, but now that's a fight you know, hell. It's just it's just kind of sad though that you know a lot of people looked at it differently. In yeah, sure. uh, you know in in the past, a lot of people looked at that situation differently, but you know now the fact that you know I'm kind of wondering if this if. Flair is now starting to turn into a victim of cancel culture, as they want to call it. Yes. Considering. Yes. 
you know, consi- considering how, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that have been that have been either canceled or degraded due to uh, maybe uh, controversial or uh, I mean, let's just face it. Right? What 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 Flair did was definitely wrong uh, and something that he shouldn't have done. But I mean, it was just taken, you know, back then. It was like if you're if you're on a flight with these guys, you're basically part of the gang. You know, you're part of the family and whatnot. And yeah. you know, I guess it's it's just looked at in a different light now. It's it's basically it's drawn a very mixed reaction. I'll put it that way. There's been a lot of wrestlers right. that have actually defended him over this situation. I see. But, uh, you know, needless to say, this has turned quite a few fans against him ever since yeah, this I'll has uh, come out. I'll bet. But, you know, uh, back to uh, back to football, you know, when I – yeah. before before you had taken that call, uh, we were talking about injuries in the NFL this this year. Yeah. And, you know, one of the one of the more notable ones as well, uh, is Jerry Judy, who we all know he he already has an injury history to begin with. Uh yes. you know, ever since coming out of Alabama. He missed time last year and he's now missing time again this year as he suffered a high ankle sprain and the timetable is four to six weeks, but it's closer to six weeks basically that he will be yeah. out. Uh, I assume we're talking to her. No, no, not to her. Oh. Uh, Jerry Judy. Oh yeah. Jerry the, Judy. Uh, wide cousin, yeah. Cause of judge Judy. Mm. The uh, the wide receiver the wide receiver from uh, formerly out of Alabama, but he uh, he right. spent time he was dra- he was drafted last year by uh, by Denver. Right. And if I recall correctly, I believe he did have he was having himself quite a week this week before the injury. If I can bring this uh, bring this thing up here. Uh, you know, he was having quite a week, and it looked like okay, maybe, maybe Jerry Judy is fine is going to show Denver and show Denver fans why they drafted him to begin with. And right. you know, lo and behold, by the way, it was a pretty good debut for Teddy Bridgewater, two hundred and sixty-four yards and two touchdown passes. Uh, nice. But Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, he had six catches for seventy-two yards, you know, and then and then he went down with the uh, with the high ankle sprain, and basically yeah. this allowed this allowed Noah Font and uh, KJ Hamler to uh, to pick up a lot more of his targets, and obviously, you know, with him going down, that means Cortland Sutton will hopefully see more than just uh, three targets uh, this upcoming week, as Sutton, you know, originally was the number one wide receiver before uh, Judy came in. And now that Judy is out, uh, that basically transforms Denver's offense yet again. But, you know, who, who knows? Maybe perhaps, uh, I mean, we saw what 
what Teddy Bridgewater was able to do instead of Drew Locke, you know, maybe perhaps uh, Denver won't really suffer that badly from this injury, but it is going to be a huge yeah. injury for that wide receiver core with uh, with Judy being out for six weeks. Oh, dear. So not just him, but also uh, the Raiders, they lost Marcus Mariota for multiple weeks after he was brought oh, in for one, for one play last Monday night which was a designed 31-yard run from under center, and he ended up aggravating his quad in the process. So there's no timetable for, uh, for his exact recovery, but he is expected to miss multiple weeks, it says here. Boy, this is epidemic. So not only are they without him, they're without Denzel Good, who's done for the year with a torn ACL, they're without Richie Incognito, who has a calf injury. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe has a, ham, has a hamstring injury. And Josh Jacobs is likely to miss this week with a toe and ankle injury as well mm. for the Raiders. So, uh, there, and this is just, uh, you know, week this one. is just one of, yeah, this is this has just been week one. And, you know, I haven't even gotten to some of the bigger names on this list yet. This next one in particular is going to be sickening to you, but Demarcus Lawrence underwent foot surgery on Thursday, breaking right, his foot after breaking his foot in practice. Yeah, I know. Six to eight weeks. He will be out now for half the season. Six to eight weeks. Yeah. And and let's face it, he had such a great opening night against Tampa Bay that it looked like maybe perhaps DeMarcus Lawrence was going to be that one constant that the Cowboys would have this year on defense. Yes. And now instead, uh, with Randy Gregory being on the COVID list and uh, defensive tackle Neville Gallimore potentially out for this week and perhaps further, the Cowboys, they're going to find it really hard to try and pressure Justin Herbert this week without a handful of, mo- of their most impactful pre- uh, pass rushers. Yes. Uh, the 49ers, they also lost yeah. Dre Greenlaw for half, the week, for half the year, six to eight weeks under, uh, after undergoing core muscle surgery. Uh, let's see. The Jets. They lost uh, two big players. They lost LaMarcus Joyner, and they also lost Mekhi Becton, uh, who will be yes. undergoing knee surgery, and he'll be sidelined up to two months. And, you know, Becton has probably been the Jets' ba- uh, best uh, blocker on offense. So now... That puts Zach Wilson in in, in such a uh, such a tough uh, a tough spot with uh, you know them having to face the New England pass rush who have been known to make it hard on Jets uh, on Jets quarterbacks in in recent memory. Mm. And obviously uh, now George Fant will take over for Mackay Becton, but he's not really going to be the same. Uh, he's not going to provide the same 
coverage that uh, Becton would have if, if uh, Becton was fully healthy. Uh, we also right. have uh, we also have Rashad Penny, or actually no, over to Lamarcus Joyner. He suffered a torn tricep, and he is now out for the rest of the year for the Jets. And now an already secondary is now has now grown even weaker, and it's bad for Joyner because he had just signed a one-year deal in the off-season with the Jets, so. You know, this could potentially prevent him from, you know, he may not have a guaranteed deal next year. He may have to sign a prove-it deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, it, it just shows you, like, if you better hope if you get injured, you better hope you have a guaranteed deal. You know, you better hope you're not somebody yeah. who – you better not hope you better hope you're not somebody who is, you know, who just barely made the roster uh uh-huh. you know on on performance alone in the in the uh preseason. Uh before we go any further uh for professional football uh, there was one topic that I forgot to uh, bring up here as Clay Helton uh, from USC oh, yeah. was fired was fired by the team two games into his seventh season in charge of the uh, of the Trojans. And I mean, he even won a Rose Bowl with them as well as a Pac-12 title early on, but it yeah. seems like he never won over most of the of the fans. Yeah. And this move obviously comes two days after a 42 to 28 home loss to Stanford uh, that sent the Trojans out of the top 25. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it is it, it it was kind of surprising to me considering. Uh, how Helton had seemed to have been a mainstay at USC, but uh, you know this led to a lot of speculation that maybe perhaps could uh, you know could current Jacksonville Jaguars coach Urban Meyer be second be second guessing you know him taking the Jaguars job and maybe potentially looking at. Uh, wanting to bail out of Jacksonville and instead go back to college and take the USC job. Now, yeah. according to according to uh, to Urban Meyer himself, he said there's no chance of him taking the head coach opening. Um, consider even though his name had been thrown out left and right here, uh, and actually there was a rumor that supposedly. Urban Meyer's heart wasn't in, wasn't in it for this season, which mm. kind of led people to question if that's partially why he had such a lackluster uh, showing early on last week. Looking over for Helton will uh, will be Dante Williams, the cor- the cornerbacks coach for the Trojans. And he was also considered the associate head coach 
Uh, he will take over for the rest of the season alongside offensive coordinator Graham Harrell and defensive coordinator Todd Orlando. Now, obviously, the change must have, uh, must have done them some good because uh, USC had quite the blowout this week to, uh, to improve to 2-1. and one. Uh, on the obviously, you know, obviously it's a uh, it's an early season, but uh, you know it was a quite frankly a pretty bit a pretty big blowout for yeah. uh, for the Trojans this week, and in particular, I'm trying to I'm trying to find the. Uh, score here real quick we had here we go yeah 45 to 14 over washington state uh to improve to two and one you know usc is probably one of those highly coveted jobs and you know it is it it is kind of surprising it is kind of surprising that they got rid of helton considering uh he was under contract for another two years yeah so uh, I mean, he, however, though, he was 19 and 14 since the 2017 season. So maybe perhaps that had a bit more to do with, uh, you know, with his with his ousting rather than, you know, obviously he got off to an 0-2 start this year. Or no, they got off to a 1-1 start. But, uh, you know, obviously – it's not what they expected heading into this season. Now he did finish. Uh, he did finish with a uh, twenty twenty-two games over five hundred record for the uh, seventh longest coaching tenure in the history of uh, USC, as he had originally taken over as their interim coach for he permanently got his first head coaching job as the head coach late in the 2015 season. However, you know, they just didn't win enough to, uh, to justify him uh, keeping his job essentially. Which is a shame for Helton, but you know, can't really, uh, when it comes to USC, you can only take you can only take failure for so long, basically, with USC. Right. Uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter, he's report. Uh, oh my God, you want to talk about delusional? Uh, he is reporting yes, that yes. the Houston Texans, the Houston Texans, are seeking a combination of six players and picks in a Deshaun Watson trade. So whether it's one player and five picks or two players and four picks, combination, uh, you'll be seeing at least six things coming back to Houston in a Deshaun Watson deal. Mm. To me, this kind of seems sort of like, it, it, it seems sort of like Houston is basically sending a message that, you know, we want either, you know, we're, we're not really interested in trading him, but if we do trade him, it'll be for a king's ransom. Uh, 
you know, that, that's pretty much what this spells out to me, that Houston isn't really interested in trading him. They're just basically not, not playing him. They're just basically not playing him until his uh, situation involving the sexual, uh, the potential right. sexual assaults gets cleared up. Uh, however, it says it says here that no team is no is not willing to meet that price till stipulations are attached to those picks, with Watson still being yeah. under investigation by the FBI. Uh, I mean, it's regardless, you know, it's very unlikely that we will see a, a, a trade happen anytime soon at this point involving Watson. I would be very surprised if he even gets dealt this year, honestly. I, I think it's yes. more likely I think it's more likely that you know, considering how long this has been uh stretched out I mean hell, Antonio Brown, his situation didn't even get settled until what, this off season I think? Yes. And came up when he was a member of the Patriots two years ago. Or as I call it, them. Yeah, as you call it, them. But, you know, he was – this came up when he was a member of the Patriots two years ago. So if it took them two years to throw out Antonio Brown's – or to come to a decision with Antonio Brown's situation, how how long are we expecting – there to be uh, there to be for Deshaun Watson's case. Oh dear, that's a, that's that's gonna be like a soap opera. You know, with so many with so many uh, so many accusers yes. in this case, who knows how long this one is going to take? It could potentially take longer. My ne- my youngest niece will probably graduate junior high by then. Possibly, but you know I kind I kind of understand when it comes to the teams uh, to Houston not playing him because you know obviously they got Tyrod Taylor they they have a couple of backups but they don't want to form formulate their offense around Deshaun Watson and then have him you know get suspended by the league during the middle of the year and whatnot, or potentially go to prison, depending on what happens, you know, that would completely throw them through a loop. So I kind of understand, I kind of understand why they decided, you know what, we're just going to make, we're prepared to make him inactive for pretty much as long as uh, this uh, investigation is going on. Right. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Lou? Do you think Houston is going uh, – first off, do you think it's uh, basically sending out signals that they that they feel that, you know, they're trying to send out like, hey, we're not going to trade this guy regardless of how, of, of, uh, of how much you guys want him and how many offers you give us? Uh, and the fact that they're deciding not to start him uh, while this, uh, you know, while this investigation is going on, might we say, Houston, we have a problem? Well, 
yeah, you know, they they definitely have a problem when it comes to Watson. But, you know, if Tyrod Taylor continues to play how he played in week one, they yeah. may not have much of a problem maybe. Well, good, because, you know, this whole incident, you know, I'm hearing with, you know, with all that's been happening, you know, with the with the, with the case, you know, it's been it's been very baffling. You know, one case, one uh, accusation after another, and you know, it's it's been making my head spin for weeks. Yeah, I mean, let's fa- let's face it though. Uh, keep in mind, uh, Tyrod Taylor, he was supposed to be the starting quarterback last year for uh, for the Chargers. Right, yeah. Before before that mysterious incident took place where his lung randomly got poked by the team's doctor. Uh, right, that was a mistake. Basically opening the door for Justin Herbert to take over as the team's starter. Right. And but that was that was now that was see, stupid, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was it really seemed like you know I I don't want to I don't want to throw you know accusations out there but no no of course not I I kind of wonder if maybe you know the the Chargers realized that they had handcuffed themselves with uh, by acquiring him that oh yeah they were like okay we need to find we need to find some way to pass the tor- to to pass the uh, the starting job over to Herbert so. We got to do. We got something has to be done, you know, in order to make that happen. Yes, they handcuff themselves. Can I mean, they can't find the key to unlock it. I mean, I can't. I can't argue with. You know, I can't argue with their decision. I mean, look at what Herbert did last year. He was the AFC, uh, the AFC Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, but right, you know. Right. He he was the offensive rookie of the year with the numbers he put up last year. He was a credible. He's definitely a credible NFL starter for for a quarterback. And now, obviously, heading into his second year, I'm expecting we're probably going to see a jump from him. I do expect better. But, you know, Tyrod Taylor, in just his first game with Houston, pretty much shows – why he should still be a starting quarterback. I mean, granted, it was against Jacksonville, but assuming we start seeing more and more of the Tyrod Taylor that that was in Buffalo before, obviously, Josh Allen came in, you know, I think it's possible that, uh, you know, maybe perhaps Houston will look at Deshaun Watson and say, you know what, we got Taylor – performing at, at such a high level here, maybe we maybe we could actually trade you. <laughs> okay. I mean granted I wouldn't do that, but you know, you no. never know with Nick Casario with 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 some of the questionable decisions that Nick Casario has made so far this off season uh in the off season this year, who knows what the hell is yeah. gonna happen in that uh in that Houston organization. Uh, let's see. Heading back to the injury list here, uh, Raiders defensive tackle Gerald McCoy suffered a season-ending knee injury against the Ravens. Uh, he had originally signed a one-year deal with the Raiders, uh, but when he hits free agency at the end of this year, he will be 34 years old 
with his last full game coming back in 2019. Now, he missed all of 2020 with a ruptured quad and all of 2021 with a knee injury. Uh, you know, he may struggle to draw interest this off, this uh, next offseason, I should say. Right. However, if he does come back well, he could have an impact next year. But obviously this year, uh, his, time is, uh, his time is done, basically. So, you know, that's another big name to add to the injury list. Uh, Rashad Penny, Rashad Penny is expected to be shut down for a couple of weeks uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, It says here he could be placed on injured reserve. It doesn't say yet whether he will uh, due to a uh, calf injury that he had suffered sometime before week one. He ended up playing in week one and he ended up worsening that calf injury. Uh, he also had a knee cleanup earlier this summer in the same knee that tore his ACL in 2019. Now, clearly, ever since the Seahawks spent a first-round pick on him back in 2018, he his career has basically been maligned by injuries, and he has yet to play a full season in his NFL career. And now... Uh, this injury could put him behind Alex Collins on the depth chart once he returns to Seattle. Now, one go- one bit of good news though on the injury uh, on the injury line here, uh, okay. Kyle Shanahan, the uh, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, has said that Jeff Wilson may be back in November from his meniscus surgery. Uh, however, he did note it could he did note it could be slightly earlier or slightly later than that ex, than that expectation, as he suffered a so torn meniscus torn? back in May. Oh, no, it was torn. It was torn back. Uh, he suffered it back in May though, and he's been recovering uh-huh. since from the uh, surgery that he had uh, to repair it. Now I get it. now. This could be big for their run game, as he did total 600 rushing yards and seven touchdowns last year, due to the uh, numerous injuries that uh, that San Francisco uh, went through out of their running backs. Uh, one one uh, other note to report here in regards to the NFL. Uh, they were not able to get the lawsuit dismissed from St. Louis authorities, meaning there will be a trial in January over a dispute in which the city of St. Louis is seeking $1 billion or more. Uh, the, state, the state-created entity that owns the Rams' old St. Louis stadium alleges that the team, namely Rams owner Stan Kroenke, what a shock, failed to follow relocation protocols. Uh, They are seeking $1 billion or more in a lawsuit that St. Louis Circuit Court Judge uh, Christopher McGraw chose not to dismiss when the NFL asked him to to, uh, in August. So now, as a result, the dispute will go to a jury court next January. Just to clarify, you did say $1 billion, correct? 
One billion. That's correct. Wow. Holy shit. And it's due to the fact that they they reportedly failed to follow relocation protocols. It's your fault, stupid. And considering it's from Stan Kroenke, that should not be a shock at all. Or Kroenke, no. however you say his name. You know, that shouldn't be a shock at all considering, uh, you know, it's it, – I believe he – doesn't he also – he also owns the Denver Nuggets, I believe. Yes. Uh, he owns the Nuggets and I want to say – Wait, does he own Oh, okay. No, I was think I was thinking he owned the uh Colorado Rockies. He doesn't. He owns the no. Colorado Avalanche of the NHL. He owns the Colorado Rapids of Major League Soccer. Uh he also has a Colorado team in the National Lacrosse League uh as well as Oh, yeah. A whole bunch of other uh a whole bunch of other things he's dipped himself into. But uh he is he, he's also a part owner of Arsenal, both Arsenal uh soccer clubs. Uh that being Arsenal F C and Arsenal W F C. Um and he also has his name he also has his hand dipped into the uh video games, uh the Overwatch League, they have a uh a team out of Los Angeles oh, yeah. called the Los Overwatch. Angeles Gladiators. And also the newly formed Los Angeles Gorillas of the Call of Duty League. Uh so needless to say, you know, he has his hand in a lot of cookie jars, so uh oh especially with the gorillas also and he was also a part of the European Super League too. That failed. Oh, uh, yeah, that failed big time right there. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's one thing. Was, one we don't want to touch. George is back on yeah, top. Yeah, he, was, he hey. was also. He was also a huge a huge part of that too. So yeah, you know, it's not a shock at all that he has basically. Uh, this has been another. Uh, effort that he has basically failed at, essentially, here. Um, I don't think I don't want to mess up with a gorilla in Los Angeles. Oh, no, <laughs> obviously not. Uh, JB, uh, you have now, uh, we, we've now added you to the call here. Uh, we're talking about Sorry, JB. the, uh, we're talking about the former St. Louis Rams, uh, their former owner, Stan Kroenke, who now owns the uh, the L.A. Rams, and how basically he is facing a one billion or no, wait, yeah, he's facing a one billion dollar lawsuit or more from the city of Los Angeles or not Los Angeles, the city of St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, what for? Because of uh, because of failed relocation protocols back when they relocated the St. Louis Rams to L.A. Took them long enough, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, but, yeah, but they're, you know, they're claiming that he uh, supposedly he failed to follow relocation protocols or something like that. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, essentially it basically cost 
the uh, the organization billions of dollars or millions of dollars, maybe close to a billion dollars or something. Uh, and that yeah. basically has led, you know, the town or the city to basically file a joint lawsuit, essentially. I, I, you know, without seeing the, you know, protocol and everything like that, I'm going to say they're going to, it's going to be thrown out. Well, a judge actually, believe it or not, a judge has uh, declined to throw it out, and they are sending it to a jury trial in uh, in January. Yeah. Where's that trial going to be? Uh, it does not say. It says it's from St. Louis Circuit Court Judge Christopher McGraw. So I assume maybe it might be in St. Louis, possibly. I would want to, uh, if I was one of the lawyers, I'd want to, uh, you know, move the uh, trial uh, someplace else. I would move it to a neutral site. Yeah. You know, maybe to... Oh, New Jersey? Uh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no way. Not as far Thank east God. as New Jersey, and forget about uh, uh, anywhere in California, too. Forget about oh, yeah. that. <laughs> Good. My home state will not be affected. <laughs> Well, I would move it to a neutral. I would move it to a neutral site. You know, don't put mm. it anywhere in Missouri. Don't don't put it anywhere in Missouri. Don't put it anywhere in California. You know, yeah. Right. Use like, I would say maybe New York, maybe Boston. Possible? Well, no, I I don't think I would say Boston. Uh, you know, maybe New York. Maybe New it's York. Not, it's not. Uh, it, it's not. It's not Boston. It's. Boston. Boston. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got to, you know, you got to talk, uh, you know, the way they do. Yeah, it's not just Boston. Boston and <laughs> but, you know, it's, right. it, uh, this doesn't come as a shock to me, honestly. You know, as I was saying to Lou, uh, JB, before you, before you came on here, uh, Stan Kroenke, he's been a, a gigantic pain in the ass, you know, not just in <laughs> the NFL, but also in the NBA, you know, with the uh, with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he's been a problem in uh, soccer, you know, the uh, European Super League that they tried to form this uh, summer, which ended up uh, failing due to uh, fan outcry. <laughs> over it. Uh, he was part of, he was part of that super league that they tried to form. Um, so, you know, this doesn't come as a surprise to me whatsoever that all of a sudden this completely fell apart or, you know, that, you know, that he's, uh, that he's stuck in this, uh, in this lawsuit now that is now officially going to, uh, going to trial. God, and it's like how yeah. long ago? How long ago did they uh, move from St. Louis to uh, L.A.? Yeah, 
Mm, at least a couple of years. Yeah. I thought it was Actually, longer than that. No, hang on. Let me take a look. Uh, it was the end of their last season in St. Louis was the end of the 2015 season. So in 2016, they officially moved over to L.A. Right. Okay. Still, yeah, you know, this g- yeah, is... Uh, as uh, uh, much as I know anything about football, I thought it was long. I thought it was... Uh, you know, longer than that. That's why I said uh, it took them long Probably enough, didn't it? That. So, I mean, still, you know, it just it it, it just doesn't it doesn't come as a shock to me at all that Kroenke is uh, is basically the Uh-oh. the head of all this, essentially. Because he's been known to, he's been known to uh, to be a gigantic pain in the ass in whatever uh, whatever league he owns a team in. <laughs> now, right. believe it or not, believe it or not, week one we almost had our first tie in the NFL this year. With the That's Cincinnati true. Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Minnesota Vikings going all oh, the way right. until the very, the very last second in overtime, until Cincinnati kicked a uh, kicked a field goal for the win, twenty seven to twenty four. And Joe Burrow, you know, I gotta say, in his first game back from uh, from serious injury, not that bad. Two sixty one, two touchdowns. Uh, completed 20 of 27 attempts. Uh, you know, he uh, he reconnected with Jamar Chase. You know, that whole thing about Jamar Chase not being able to see a professional football, not being able to see uh, an NFL football correctly, He sh- I don't yeah. know if he was saying it just to uh, catch people off guard, but uh, if he was, it definitely worked. Five catches, yeah. 101 yards, and a touchdown. One of the one of the guys who uh, he was definitely one of the guys who shined this week for Cincinnati. Only they can get some people to uh, you know protect the quarterback. If only they can get a good uh, get better, you know, defensive and offensive line. God. Yeah, you know, I I had said that. In the draft, I remember saying that Cincinnati was making a big mistake going wide receiver when they already addressed that last year with T. Higgins. But now that I look at it, if you're going to have Jamar Chase putting up these numbers every single week and T. Higgins following along with him, I mean, Higgins had four catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. And plus you got C.J. Uzoma and Tyler Boyd behind them in the wide receiver core. That wide yeah. receiver core is looking pretty is looking pretty dangerous if they can continue this pace. Not to mention Joe Mixon had 29 carries for 127 yards, one of them being a touchdown carry, uh, being a touchdown run. I mean, you're it, 
you know, if that offensive line can hold and Joe Burrow ends up playing, and keep in mind, we didn't see what do with a full season last year because he ended right. up uh, he ended up suffering a knee injury in week 10 or, or 11 right. or something like that. So, you know, we didn't really get to see what Joe Burrow can do with a full, you know, a full season under his belt. Now, it doesn't help either that he already got he's already gotten sacked three times in his fir- in his first uh first week this week uh this year. So, obviously that offensive line still has problems. Uh so much that apparently they traded one of their worst offensive linemen to the uh to the New York Giants. You know, it's Cincinnati, you know, I I agree with what you said, JB. They are not going to be a team to take seriously until they can until they can revamp their offensive line. Yep. Once they do that, assuming they have their young core still intact, you know, they will be, I feel, a potential formidable force. But until then, you know, I, it's it, it, it's just I'm not expecting a lot out of uh, out of Cincinnati. I mean, it's been because all of it has all of it has to do with that offensive line. It's been since like 1990. Yeah. I I'll say 90 to to about. 2014, they've had Mm. uh, some of them years were decent, and they went to the playoffs, but they didn't do they didn't do crap in the playoffs. I mean, they lost the you know first game. Yeah. By the way, it looks like this is about to go final or at least close. We're about close to a minute left. Uh, Penn State, 28-20 to 20 over Auburn right now. So uh, right now it's over, third and nine at Auburn? Penn State's 17 over Auburn, yeah. It's 28-20 to 20 right now with about a minute 29 to go in the game. Um, we do have a then final, they don't uh, George. We do have a final Georgia over South Carolina, forty to thirteen. Uh, number two ranked Georgia stays undefeated at three and zero. Oregon, it looks like they are going to improve to three and zero. Currently thrashing Stony Brook, forty one to seven. They need to score some more. I picked Oregon. They're favored by like thirty seven and a half. Uh, let me see. Yeah, thirty-seven. Yeah, thirty-seven and a half. Yeah, Oregon needs to score. They need to hold Stony Brook, and they need to score. Uh, yeah, they need to score a touchdown. They get a field goal will will still give you a loss. Yeah, or a touchdown. As far as the spread goes, I think. Yeah, I think Oregon can score score a touchdown. 
Virginia and North Carolina. North Carolina currently has a 13-point lead over undefeated Virginia. So if that holds, Carolina, North Carolina will improve to 2-1. and one. Uh, Ole Miss with a 33-14 to 14 lead over Tulane with about seven minutes to go in the first half. Uh, yeah. Let's see. We have, obviously, uh, finals from earlier today. Arkansas with a 45-10 to 10 victory over Georgia Southern. Michigan State absolutely stomping Miami 38-17. to 17. Uh, Michigan 63-10 to 10 over Northern Illinois. At the end of one, uh, Arizona State uh, tied with BYU currently 7-7. to 7. And Iowa State has a 7 nothing lead over UNLV right now. Fresno State is just getting underway against the UCLA. Uh, I believe those are I think those are the only uh, the only late games that are currently going on. Uh, but, but JB, you are getting absolutely hammered right now in your picks. Uh, you're currently... I know, I know it. <laughs> the only one that's done any good is uh, Texas A&M. <laughs> hey, I might get that uh, Ole Miss. <laughs> you might get, yeah, you might get Ole Miss, yeah. from what it looks like. You might get Ole Miss, but Clemson absolutely shat the bed today. Uh, oh, I mean, they shit. did win, but uh, they shat the bed. Yeah. They did win, but they – but I mean, I mean, there's a reason why that they were favored by 28.5 points. They should have won by 28.5 points. They should and have won by reason, more than that. Yeah, they they only won by, I think, what was, what was it, 14-7? 14-8, I think it was. Yeah, 14-8. Yeah, 14-8. to 14-8, and – you know, uh, Lou and I talked about this earlier, JB, but it kind of seems like Clemson is really missing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne yeah. ever since uh, ever since losing them to the draft this year. Yeah. Because it seems like once they lost those two, they basically lost their entire offensive scheme, essentially. I just I don't understand why you know Clemson why why Clemson doesn't look like the uh like the Clemson that we're used to seeing every year. Well, look at Alabama. They yeah. only beat Florida by two. And yeah, they were but, favored I mean, by fifteen and a half. Yeah, but you know, isn't Florida usually known for their defense, though? Or am I getting them mixed up mm-hmm. with uh, Miami? Yeah, I'm getting Miami and Florida mixed up too. You know, I that's part of the Went reason why I stayed away. That's part of the reason why I stayed away from Alabama and Florida this week because. I had a feeling if I took Alabama, they would probably win, but there was no shot that they were covering the spread. Yeah, and I'm a glutton for uh, I'm a glutton for some of these uh, for punishment. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a glutton for some of these uh, teams like 
Texas A&M was favored over New Mexico. And I figured, you know, hey, SEC over New Mexico, and eh, no problem. Clemson over Georgia Tech, 28 and a half. Eh, I think I got that. And then, uh, you know, Alabama, and I figure, well, they're number one. Florida, eh, right. it's only 15 and a half. Yeah. Only? Ohio State really could have done a little bit better, I think. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of surprised at Ohio State, uh, especially against a team like Tulsa. I was not expecting yeah, them to really. give up twenty. I was not expecting them to give up twenty to Tulsa. Uh, so, I mean, Ohio State. You know, I expected you know at least forty points, which they did end up doing. So I wasn't really shocked at the points uh, at the points they put up. I was shocked at the differential because. Yeah. yeah. Tulsa's not really one of those teams that you look at as saying, "Oh, hey, you know, maybe, maybe they could potentially make a game out of a out of the, out of a matchup like this." No, it's they're not one of those teams. So, no, you know, it, it was very surprising that uh, that Ohio State wasn't able to cover the spread today. Yeah, it's final. Just like it. Yeah, just like it was surprising, Clemson didn't, uh, you know, cover the spread over uh, Georgia Tech. Only 14 uh, uh, Yeah, that that did just go final, uh, as as Lou just said. Uh, Penn State 28 to 20 over Auburn, so Penn State is now three and zero. Auburn falls to two and one on the early season. But yeah, you know, 14 to eight, I was. I mean that right there should basically spell out the type of team that Clemson is uh, is without without their big stars. You know, this yeah. is definitely. I would I would really consider this. It's hard to it's hard to say that a team that a that a university is a rebuilder in college, but I would almost consider this Clemson team a rebuilding team, even though. Even though they're two and one, I would consider them a rebuilding team because you're not, you know, I would understand if they would score only 14 points against like an SEC team because, you know, it's a much different matchup. Consider when you're when you play against the SEC, but against Georgia Tech, I mean, really? Yeah, really. That's really all you can muster against a team like Georgia Tech. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else I can say about Clemson except that I will be, I would be shocked if they're still ranked at number six. But I mean, yeah, they won, so obviously they'll probably still be ranked high. But I would be shocked if they're still ranked at number six, especially when you have a team like Cincinnati beating uh, Indiana this week. Cincinnati's number eight. I would consider I would consider Indiana to be a tougher matchup than Georgia Tech. Yeah. The hell what yeah. do I know? Okay. And you know the same thing can be said with Notre Dame against Purdue. 
you know, Notre Dame only won 27 to 13 over Purdue, and they're ranked number 12. And now they're, they're, on, they're also undefeated as well still. So I would assume that you're probably going to see Notre Dame go up in the rankings as well. Better. I mean, they won the Notre Dame and dropped four spots, so I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. It doesn't really when you think about it. Uh, we did see an upset today. Yeah. We did, well, actually, two upsets. Not only did we see Michigan State over Miami, uh, but we saw West Virginia unseat Virginia Tech, twenty-seven yeah. to twenty-one. Yeah. And you know, it's it's just, it's just really surprising, honestly, with with some of these. Uh, I I will say. Some of the spreads have been very weird this year so far. I mean, even though we've only played two weeks of uh, of games gridiron, you know, so, it's just some of yeah. the spreads I've seen. Ooh, actually, North Carolina, they've extended their lead up to 20 points now over Virginia. So it looks yes. like North Carolina is about to uh, about to improve to 2-1 and one more than likely here. Um. Yeah, I have been kind of surprised by by some of the spreads. I mean, hell, even even this week, uh, with Cleveland having a twelve and a half point uh, a twelve and a half point spread this week, you know, you got you got Cleveland with twelve and a half points, and you also have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with uh, 12 and a half points as well. It's, it's kind of weird to have such yeah. huge spreads. And you know what? This is another thing too, is that, you know, we were talking earlier, Lou, about how, about how good Houston looked. They're 12 and a half, they're 12 and a half point underdogs to Cleveland this week. I no, I'm sorry, but it is high. I wouldn't consider I wouldn't consider uh, Houston to be that high of an underdog at twelve and a half. I mean, come on, you got. I mean, if it's Atlanta, I understand Atlanta. You know, they barely scored last week uh, to begin with, so it kind of made sense that Atlanta would be twelve and a half point underdogs against Tampa, but Houston. I just don't see it. I honestly think that uh, this could be another potential high-scoring game as well uh, between Houston and Cleveland. Hell, yeah. you know, it's it's weird at some of these. Uh, and and plus, uh, Green Bay. You know, Green Bay. It, I get I get why it's ten and a half points for Green Bay because Detroit absolutely yeah. sucks yeah. and. Yeah. Yeah. And no. you know Green Bay, no. Green Bay has no, all of the, uh, you know Green Bay has all of these, uh, all of these players that have been known to put on all pro seasons. So everybody's expecting Green Bay to be a lot better than they were last week, but I still don't even agree at ten and a half points. 
Do I feel you okay? Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it is it is pretty weird. Uh, uh, some of these spreads that we've been that we've been seeing recently. Now, yeah, news, especially uh, some of these college spreads. You know, uh, there's good news that has now come out uh, with the NFL as the NFL players. So obviously, uh, this decision is uh, now up to uh, the commissioner at this point. But the NFL Players Association yeah. has now recommended that free agent wide receiver Josh Gordon be reinstated after he completed mm. his NFL monitored treatment program. Uh, yes. Considering obvious, obviously he's been suspended ever since he failed his last drug test. But uh, I mean, let's face it, you know, marijuana is now legal in the NFL. It's not considered a performance enhancing substance finally uh, in football. So honestly, right. he should have been reinstated last season when that, uh, you know, when that rule came into, uh, you know, came into uh, into being. Yeah. Yes. But hopefully, good, you know, Goodell uh, basically sees that. Obviously, this should be uh, this suspension should be overturned. But you know, I'll, I'll just I'll put it this way: if if he doesn't get taken off of the list after even even after this whole marijuana uh, ban has officially been lifted, you know, then there's probably no no chance of him ever coming back into the NFL at this rate. No. I mean, this is literally his. I, I understand they they've given him multiple chances, but come on, that was back when marijuana was a banned substance. Right now, it's perfectly legal. You know, they don't consider it a performance enhancing substance. So, honestly, his his slate, if anything, should be wiped clean. You know, obviously, he has a prior track record, but you know, those were all marijuana-related issues. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was a problem in the past, but keep in mind, you know, with those all being marijuana-related issues, marijuana is no longer an issue in the NFL, so I don't right. see why if he decide, I don't see why uh, those past uh, suspensions should be held against them. I mean, J- JB, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that uh, that ultimately the NFL should reinstate Josh Gordon? I think I think so. Yeah, whether they will or not, yeah, that's something to be seen. I mean, this kind of reminds me of uh, what the UFC did with Nick Diaz when he got busted for uh for marijuana and he he had been suspended for what was it six years they said four to six years or something like that yeah but was it but was it UFC or was it the Nevada State uh, Athletic Commission well it was the I Nevada for, State I Athletic I, Commission, I, for, I forget 
It was the Nevada yeah, State Athletic Commission, but Dana White was in favor of it, though. Right. Oh, yeah. He was in favor of the suspension. Which, okay. honestly, yeah. you know, it, I've said this. Yeah, I don't know. I've said this for Six years. years I've ago. said this for years. It's absolute bullshit that, uh, you know, I've never done yeah, marijuana. Yeah, you did say that. But. I've never done marijuana, but my cousin has done marijuana, and you know he's uh, he's dealt uh, he, he's actually trained in MMA before. You know he trained in jujitsu. Uh, he hasn't prof- he's never professionally fought, but he's trained in jujitsu before, and while under the influence, might I add, and he didn't feel it really it really uh, helped him or, or, or harmed his performance in any certain way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's just complete, it's complete bullshit. It's basically, it was a way for them to try and get marijuana outlawed essentially. Yeah. It was, it was part of that. that. For a long time. Yeah. You know, it was, it was part of that media narrative basically that marijuana is bad, you know, um, right. And basically try to get it outlawed in any way possible, essentially. Uh, we do have some NBA news this week. The NBA is reportedly discussing an in-season tournament with prizes of $1 million per player. According to Shams Sharania of the athletic, uh, the league's oh competition committee reportedly met on Monday and discussed various initiatives, including the long-discussed possibility of a mid-season tournament. Uh, it um, remains to be seen. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you. You know, it's – this would I, – I assume this would basically take the place of the All-Star game, apparently. I get it. Uh, yeah. It says here they uh, – you know, they – discussed the possibility uh, of the of the midseason tournament, but it remains to be seen if million dollar bounties would be enough to win over the players union, which is now led by the new president CJ McCollum of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Uh, the league is so. also considering they're also considering an officiating change to speed up play in the final minutes of games. So under the new rule. Coaches' challenges would be the only trigger for out-of-bounds possession reviews in the final two minutes. Okay, I like that. And you know what? I Yeah, I agree. I was about to say I'm actually kind of in favor of that because just from watching some Celtics games, the last two minutes literally felt like 30 minutes of watching referees – of watching referees look at, uh, you know, look at monitors to see whether or not uh, whether or not something was out of bounds and who it was. Well, obviously it was out of bounds, but who it was out of bounds off of. Yes, yeah. we don't know. And I still I feel like that should be up to the coaches and not up to the players because they literally right. players could literally call for a review at any point in time. And that was mainly abused by James Harden as one of the uh, primary, uh, one of the primary people to uh, trigger reviews 
uh, on literally almost yeah. every single offensive play. You know, it just got to be flat out ridiculous this year. I mean, Lou, how much oh, how much faster do you think how much faster do you think games would be if uh, that rule could only be uh, could only be used uh, through coaches' challenges? Oh, because it'd be at the end dramatically. I mean, the the last two minutes, you know, you're fouling I think intentionally, and well, it takes up a lot of time. So uh, this new rule, I think, is going to help speed up the game. That's going to, you know, uh, keep the fans more interested. So yeah, this is going to this is going to be, you know, a great big factor here. Uh, what are your thoughts, JB, on this? Because uh, you know, you've actually stated to me a couple of times, uh, either on the show here or in private message, that, or maybe it was Tim that said this to me, uh, but. You know, the last couple of minutes of games were basically unbearable to watch because it seemed like they would go on for eternities. It had to have been Tim because I don't watch uh, basketball. I don't even okay, watch yeah, maybe, uh, college maybe basketball. Maybe, maybe it was Tim then. It probably was one of those uh, – it was probably one of those nights that I was uh, talking to him during a uh, during a Celtics game against the Sixers, probably. But, but uh, I have seen uh, a couple basketball games and uh, not games, maybe like the yeah. uh, last minute or something like that. And it seems like that last minute can take ten minutes, just like just like on um, the uh, in the NFL, the uh, at the two minute warning that could take you know that could take fifteen minutes. It all depends on, uh, you know, what happens. I mean, I've seen some games it's taken, you know, almost 10, maybe 15 minutes just to play, the, just to go through the two-minute warning. And it's like, man, it's only two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, does get, it does get kind of ridiculous. Uh, with all the, you know, all the calls that get made. Uh, I mean, obviously, I understand, you know, these teams are playing in order to, you know, to, you know, in order to uh, try and contend for uh, for the Larry O'Brien trophy. You know, it, it gets kind of ridiculous with, uh, yeah. you know, some of these calls, some of these some of these uh, calls for reviews that get made when when it's clear that the ball is off of a certain player, but yet the referees still decide, well, let's let's go and review it anyways, even though it was clear that the ball was nowhere near the other guy, and instead it went off of uh, it went off of this certain player. Yeah, but. 
I'm sure, you know, there's, there's other changes that will probably be looked at as well. Uh, I would assume that this probably means that coaches' challenges will be uh, will be brought up in number. So we'll probably see something similar to, uh, you know, like timeouts. And obviously, you know, the NBA has like six timeouts per half. Uh, I assume we would see something sort of similar to like the NFL, where maybe they would have like two or three coaches' challenges uh per uh you know per half of basketball right that could be used uh the G League they have announced that they will introduce their first Latin American team for the upcoming season as the Mexico City Capitanes will officially make their way into the developmental league of the uh of the NBA uh, they had originally been part of Mexico's professional league uh, since 2017, mm-hmm. the LNMBP, or the LNBP, as they call them. Right. Uh, their home arena is in Mexico City, although uh, Shem Serrania of the Athletic has reported that they will play home games in the United States this year due to COVID-19 restrictions on international travel. And the new arrangement now makes the Capitanes officially a part of the G League for an initial term of five years with the aim to make it a permanent addition if successful. Now, obviously, they did the same thing with the Springfield Armor uh, back a couple years ago when uh, before Brooklyn became – before Brooklyn became such a big thing, they did a – they had a partnership with the Springfield Armor for a couple of years, uh, but because they were unable to hold significant attendance, even though it's kind of funny that they had they had uh, more attendance. I- I'll say this. Not only did they have more attendance than the Springfield Falcons of the AHL, but I actually felt that games were more fun at the Springfield Armor yeah. than they were for the Springfield Falcons. So, you know, it it, it was kind I was kind of disappointed when they moved the Armor out of Springfield because they weren't able right. uh to get enough fan support supposedly. You know, who knows? This this will uh if this is successful, uh this is part of the NBA's initiative to try and expand basketball into uh into different countries you know so uh we'll see if this you know carries over uh we do have some official announcements in terms of major league baseball uh we officially have three teams that have qualified for the playoffs uh, those mm-hmm. being the San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Giants, the LA Dodgers, and virtue of their win tonight over uh, over the Chicago Cubs. Uh, well, no, over over the Chicago over the Chicago Cubs, the Milwaukee Brewers are now officially Brewers. in the playoffs, having locked up the NL Central. Uh, Cincinnati though they're still in it. They're Cincinnati's still in it though. They're two games behind. Uh, 
in the wild card. But they're still in it. They're not technically uh, eliminated yet. Right. Uh, let's see. Because right. it's the it's Mets the should Dodgers. be though. Ugh. It's the Dodgers and the Cardinals that are currently in the wild card. And actually, yeah, the Mets. Uh, don't worry, Lou. Their elimination is coming soon. I think. They're yeah. About... They've lost five in a row now. Yeah, they're about seven games behind right now in the wild card. So I think their time is coming soon. Tragic number approaching. Yeah, their elimination number right now is set at 10 from what it looks okay. like. Okay, so they can be officially eliminated by as early as maybe, say, Wednesday. Possibly, yes. Uh, Miami, they are pretty much going to be eliminated, uh, I assume, probably tomorrow. Maybe as soon as tonight, actually. Um, I thought they were eliminated as early as day two. Well, more than likely, yeah you could kind of consider them eliminated. Uh, in the AL East, it looks, like pretty much, it looks like pretty much the AL East uh, is locked up by Tampa Bay, seven and a half games ahead of the Red Sox, eight and a half ahead of Toronto, and nine games ahead of the Yankees. So, so they're pretty much wrapping up the AL East in Tampa. Uh, Boston, they currently hold the first wild card spot with Toronto holding the second wild card spot by about a half game over the Yankees. Uh, Yankees, I just, I don't know what to say about the Yankees right now. With, uh, they should have had such an easy, uh, they should have had such an easy series against Baltimore and they were having problems with Baltimore then they should have had such an easy series against Cleveland, and now they lost embarrassingly to Cleveland earlier today. So it's, it's, I'm kind of thinking at this point, what the hell is going on in that clubhouse that is basically – you know, New York went from having a huge losing streak to having a huge winning streak, and now all of a sudden they're back down to uh, flipping back and forth, essentially. Yeah. And you thought with the Mets, you know, taking two or three of the Yankees to give them momentum, now they haven't done anything since then. They lost five straight, and now they're falling apart. Like I care, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Mets, I mean, keep in mind, though, the Mets, it's it's a completely different story over there. I mean, Atlanta, you know, I think the biggest mindfuck for me with Atlanta is the fact that they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. for most of the season, and yet that somehow made them a better team. Yeah, I thought Acuna done, I thought that, I thought that um, Atlanta be done. I didn't get much of a shot. I really didn't. Because how do you yeah, expect, you know, to... Do only have your best player out. Yeah, exactly. And yet somehow, somehow you're still, you know, you're 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 still on top of the NL East. Yeah. Right now, though it is only by one and a half games. Uh, Philadelphia is making a serious push right now for the uh, for oh, the yeah. NL East title. 
winning their last four games. They're now one and a half games back of the uh, of the Atlanta Braves. So they're making a pretty serious push, but uh, New York. I mean, they're lucky that they're only, they're lucky that they're only separated by four wins uh, in the in the uh, win loss column when it comes to Atlanta. So New York still has work to do. It could potentially be done, yeah. but at the same time, you know, they lose any more games and they can pretty much wrap it up eventually. But I would still consider the NL East. We may see that race go down all the way until the very last series. Yeah. But uh, the NL Central, that's all wrapped up. Milwaukee has that. Uh, NL West is pretty much just a matchup between the uh, the Niners, or, the, or not the Niners, the uh, the Giants and the Dodgers at this point. Uh, the Padres, they've been eliminated from the division, but they are still alive in the wild card, two and a half games. Uh, so they can still potentially make it. Cincinnati, they're two games out of the wild card despite losing the division. Uh, looking at the AL West, Houston leads Oakland by six and a half. They're pretty much going to wrap that division up at some point, maybe within this week. Uh, Chicago, I mean, let's face it, they're they're pretty much uh, they've they've wrapped up the AL Central since the very since the very beginning of the season. Uh, and obviously, the AL East is probably going to be wrapped up at some point. The only question is going to be uh, which two which two between Boston, Toronto, and New York will be the two wildcard teams. That's pretty much the only question left in the in the uh, American League. Now, it would have helped if the Yankees would have won today, but they got their ass kicked. So now it's a game – I think it's another game and a half or two. It's not – I mean – it's it's doable. I mean, it is realistic the Yankees can uh, you know sneak it in, but the half losses are like that. Uh, you know, it, it looks it looks uh, like a difficult road to climb. So they have to start. Well, they have to start winning. You know, yeah, they two, two is not a big league with 15 games to go. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, it isn't. But at the same time, they got to get a, they got to get their heads out of their asses, basically. And that's another story. Actually. Yeah, and actually, you know, actually get down to business and stop screwing around, basically. If George was still alive, oh boy. Now we do have some uh, we do have some early uh, inactives for the NFL. Uh, the Cowboys they will be without Donovan Wilson, who is out with a groin injury. Uh, basically. Let's just put it this way. Uh, they're already hurting defense is hurting even more. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge is going to be out for the Seahawks with a concussion. Uh, so he will not be active against the Titans. Trent Brown uh, will be out against the Jets as he is dealing with a right calf strain. 
So he is officially listed as out. Good news for the Lions. Jamal Williams has been removed from the week two injury report. So it looks like he will be officially active for their running back, uh, their running back tandem. Tyrell Williams, though, has been ruled out with a concussion. So that's, uh, that's going to be a bit of a loss for their offense. Uh, let's see here. Antonio Brown, he was removed from the week two injury report for Tampa Bay, so he is expected to play against uh, the Atlanta Falcons, although they could probably give him rest anyways if they want to. Uh, Rashad Penny, he is listed as doubtful for the Seattle Seahawks due to his calf injury. It looks like Kenyon Drake will be the expected starter for the Vegas Raiders with uh, Josh Jacobs officially out due to his ankle injury. Uh, However, Peyton Barber will see some of the lead lead running back duties against the Steelers this week. Uh, Let's see. Some other... Uh, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look like we have any other uh, known uh yet. Although usually those do come out coincidentally right after the show ends for some reason. Yeah. Uh, at the top of the hour uh, at midnight, for some reason, they always decide to release the the key inactives then as opposed to uh, earlier in the night. A little late, don't you think? It is. Yeah, yeah, you would think. But uh, some other finals. Uh, North Carolina, they did officially hang on. 59-39 final over Virginia. Oregon, 48-7 over Stony Brook. Yeah. And let's see. Ole Miss is 40 to 21 at the half over Tulane. Uh, what was the spread again, JB, on Oregon? I, was it 37 and a half? Oregon was wow. 37 and a half, I think. 37 okay, or 38 yeah, so and they, a half. Okay, so they officially cover then. Uh, they, got that, they got that touchdown. They got that touchdown that you uh, that you wanted. Yeah. So that and actually think, puts you in a bit of a better position. Yeah. And I think I got Ole Miss, too. So that gives me three for today and maybe, uh, oh, maybe, uh, you know, one uh, Monday night. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, maybe. Obviously, that all depends. That all depends on on what happens Monday night. Um, yeah. Let's see. There's also the question too whether or not Odell Beckham Jr. will be activated for this week's game uh, mm-hmm. for the Browns because he was considered a game time decision last week, and he ended up sitting out of last week's game. So. That's a question of whether or not he will be uh, 
he will be able to play. Uh, Zach Moss yeah. was inactive last week for the Bills, but it sounds like he may be ready to go this week against Miami. Uh, we will see if that officially if that becomes official uh, starting tomorrow. But it looks like he will probably be ready to go, according to uh, Sean McDermott, the head coach. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, good news for the 49ers. He was up. He was upgraded to questionable for uh, for their matchup this week. So it looks like maybe perhaps he may be uh he may be ready to return to action. And as far as Trey Sermon goes for the 49ers, it's it sounds like Trey Sermon may be a game time decision. From what it looks like here. Mm. Obviously of course uh, you know, I'm I'm searching Twitter right now, trying to find some of the uh, trying to find some potential some potential uh, bits of information. But they're really keeping, uh, you know, they're really keeping things tight lipped, except for the little things that uh, that do get reported during the day. But let's see here. Uh, back over to the NBA for a little bit. Uh, Zach Levine, it has been uh, it has been mentioned that he would prefer to re-sign to a uh, long-term deal with the Bulls, according to ESPN's David Kaplan. Uh, Kaplan, of course, works as a radio host for ESPN Chicago. Uh, he has said this week that he heard from sources who assert that uh, Levine wants to stay put in Chicago. Um, basically he's saying that he wants to be the first guy in the door every day and he wants to be a part of what they're building in Chicago, which kind of makes sense because they did revamp their roster uh, with the deadline acquisitions and plus the signing of Lonzo Ball this offseason as well. And he is entering the final year of his current deal, so he probably – uh, the most they could probably offer him is maybe $105 million over four years, which is well below his market value. Oh, you know what? I can't believe I missed this, but uh, it kind of it makes sense considering uh, he started his career with this team, but uh, in the NHL, Zdeno Chara has supposed has supposedly yeah. signed a one year contract with the New York Islanders. Yuck. The team that drafted him to begin with, and it looks like he will end his career more than likely with the team that drafted him. Kingo very team, huh? Probably. I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. Uh, Chara is nowhere near the defenseman he used to be. I mean, in 55 games, in 55 games last year, he had two goals and 10 points for Washington. But I mean, players skated around him in the uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, I mean, in New York, he could have went over to my side. Yeah, but I don't think the Rangers were interested, though, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
I mean, they got rid of Mark Just Stahl, hope, so what does that tell you? They got rid of Mark Stahl, so what does that tell you? Yeah, that's true, too. You know, I guess, I guess they don't want any aging players. Um, also, also some uh, some little retirement notes. Uh, Zach Smith has called it a career, um, recording 204 points through 662 career NHL games. Uh, and part of the reason part of the reasoning is due to his lingering back pain that he had been suffering throughout the last couple of years uh, of his professional career. And also, uh, switching over to baseball for a second as well, Ryan Braun has officially announced his retirement. Uh, yeah. The 37-year-old took this season off, and in March it was said that he was strongly leaning toward retirement. However, this does make it official. Uh, the six-time All-Star finishes his 14-year career with a career batting average of 296 to go along with 1,963 hits, along with 352 homers, and 1,154 RBIs. Uh, he right. won the Rookie of the Year. He won the Rookie of the Year in 2007 before securing the National League MVP award back in 2011. Okay. Now uh, he does walk away as the Brewers' all-time leader in home runs and runs scored. However. I kind of think he probably may not make the Hall of Fame because of his uh of his a uh or the fact that injuries hampered the later part of his career and also that his legacy is kind of clouded by uh PED usage. That might keep him out. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. one thing with Ortiz it's one thing with Ortiz, you know, Ortiz was, uh, I mean, first off, Ortiz had way, way many more home runs than, than Ryan Braun, but Ortiz was accused of performance enhancing drugs, but he was never suspended. He was never, you know, it was never officially proven while with Braun's case, it was proven that he, that he uh, he did under he did uh, use steroids at some part of it at some part of his career. So that kind of on you know unless unless baseball writers all of a sudden have this change of heart miraculously and Ryan Braun makes it into the Hall of Fame yeah, over so. players over players like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, uh, I think he's probably not going to not going to be headed uh uh for the Hall of Fame. I would be kind of shocked. Uh even though he had a career batting so average I. of 296. Even though he had a career batting average of 296, you know, then you could have all the accolades you want, but you know, it's you if you steroids even once that pretty much follows you for basically the rest of your career and afterwards so uh i mean he had a great career but yeah it's uh 
he's probably not headed for the Hall of Fame. Also, it was announced earlier today that the Montreal Canadiens, they will officially host the 2022 NHL Draft. Uh, They were scheduled to host the 2020 NHL draft, but that ended up being virtual, obviously, because of COVID-19. So instead, the NHL has, in order to make up for that, the NHL has awarded them the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Free agent Mark Gasol. Uh, apparently is planning on signing with the Spanish club Girona, according to Euro Hoops. Uh, he was recently waived. He was recently waived by the Grizzlies after being traded from the Lakers, allowing him to sign with a Spanish team back in his home country. Uh, as he played two seasons with Girona back from uh, 2006 to 2008, before he made the jump over to the NBA. So now kind of sounds like uh, Marc Gasol's NBA career is more than likely over at this point. Uh, also, Clippers owner Steve Ballmer has said it is possible that, that Kawhi Leonard could potentially return during this upcoming season as he underwent successful surgery uh, back in July to repair a partial tear in his right ACL, and he had signed a four-year deal back in August to return to the Clippers. Uh, so when he was when when Ballmer was asked this week if there was any chance that he could play this upcoming season, uh, obviously Ballmer took the easy route and said nobody knows at this stage. Nobody knows. It's possible for sure. It's possible but it will depend on what the doctors say and what Kawhi Leonard says. And obviously we know the timetable when it comes to knee injuries and knee surgeries and whatnot, but I don't know. I would be kind of shocked if he has that good of a, uh, of a recovery timeline to where he would be able to return before the end of the season. Right. Considering, doesn't it take, uh, for knee injuries, doesn't it take anywhere up to a year? In most cases, yes. For mm-hmm. athletes, I'm pretty sure. And also, uh, even though Eric Gordon hasn't approached the Rockets to ask for a trade, apparently he is open to moving to a more, favor- to a more favorable situation for himself. Uh, as he only appeared in 27 games last year due to, due to a knee injury early on and a groin injury that he suffered late in the season. However, he says physically and mentally he's in a good spot right now. Uh, but he is still technically out of uh, a bit out of place on a rebuilding team that has been committed to a youth movement at this point. So it sounds like... Uh, uh, you know, the Rockets have communicated they would love to have him stay, but obviously uh, with him in his 30s, he's probably not looking forward to being a part of a rebuilding phase at this point in his career. Uh, 
actually, I forgot to mention uh, these little bits as well. Uh, the Saints, they have signed Marshawn Lattimore to a five-year extension worth about $97.6 million. Out of that money, he will get 68.3 of it guaranteed. And Schefter notes that the deal could end up be, being worth around $100 million with incentives added on by the end of the deal. Uh, the most it is the most guaranteed money at signing for any cornerback in NFL history, and you know he's a critical component of that Saints defense, which ranks among the best within all of the NFL. Uh, the 49ers they signed cornerback Dre Kirkpatrick after losing. Uh, Jason Barrett to a season-ending ACL tear. Uh, So Kirkpatrick obviously was one of the options on the table. He made a handful of visits this year, including one to San Francisco, but no team took a shot on him before the start of the season. Uh, He did play in 11 games for the Cardinals in 2020, uh, defending seven passes while adding a trio of interceptions. Uh, His play has dipped in recent years, but he is a solid team for are a solid signing for a team that's in need of an, ex- of an experienced option at the corner position. Also, the New York Jets, they signed both linebacker B.J. Goodson as well as punter Thomas Morstead uh, after they lost Braden Mann to a knee injury uh, that obviously made his uh, – made his name with the uh, New Orleans Saints for multiple years. Uh, It's expected that he will be active for tomorrow against the New England Patriots. And uh, before we wrap this up, uh, I just want to give a reminder, obviously, for Sports Whispers Weekly, next week we will not have a show. Uh, right. As I will be out of t- I will be out of town, so I won't be able to uh, I won't be able to you know take part in my responsibilities for the show. Um, right. Obviously, Thursday night, as I, as I mentioned, uh, the Survivor podcast will be starting up this upcoming Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, and it will continue for every Thursday I'll night uh, this you season. Too. Uh, all right, Lou. Uh, I will get a hold. I will get a hold of you this week uh, for the uh, for the football spreads. Um, but yeah, that uh, that will basically wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, JB, thank you for joining uh, for joining us tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, until the Survivor Podcast uh, this Thursday night, everybody have a good rest of your weekend. And, uh, yeah, we will see you Thursday night for uh, the premiere edition of the Survivor 41 Recap Show.